Hello and welcome to a new episode of the So Video Games Podcast. It is episode 125, in fact. This is a show where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on none other than April Fool's Day. Today is April 1st, 2019. I promise this is not going to be a joke show or a silly show or whatever. Brad and I are all business on the So Video Games podcast. Uh, business in the front and business in the back. There's no party to be found here. <laughs> no party at all. <laughs> and speaking of, uh, it is Brad Galloway who is joining me as always on the show. He is the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I am doing wonderful. Thank you for asking, sir. Good, good. Um, you don't have you don't have anything up your sleeve for the show today, do you? No, because honestly, I fucking hate April Fools, dude. It's like <laughs> it sucks because personally, I don't like surprises and I don't like you know to be scared or to be pranked or anything. Like I usually just get mad. I don't think those are really funny, so I don't like to do those in real life. And online, it's really annoying because inevitably somebody posts something really fucking cool like you know like i get a ton of like new game announcements and i'm like oh that would be ah oh, never mind it's a joke. <laughs> happens all the fucking time and i don't know why anybody uh, i don't know why anybody does that and it's weird because some people actually do make legit game announcements and then i think they're fake also so it's just a weird day everything's confusing you can't trust your eyes your ears or anything and it's just kind of annoying so i'm just i'm not up for april fools i don't like it agreed i'm not really a prankster kind of guy. I don't like doing that to other people. I don't like when people do that to me. I'm always up for a good pleasant surprise, but I'm not up for like pranking or anything like that. I actually think that internet culture has ruined pranking. I mean, not that I was ever into it, but it like took it to more of an extreme that just makes me like loathe the idea of it. So neither of us have anything up our sleeves. Also, it doesn't really matter because this show is probably not going to be published for a few days. So we are recording on April Fool's Day, but you're not going to be listening to this on April Fool's Day. So really, it doesn't matter anyway. We've got nothing up our sleeves. All we have up our sleeves are video games to talk about. Brad, do you have any housekeeping before we jump into games chat? Nothing at all. Uh, I think I'm good to go. My slate is clean. Excellent. Well, all I want to say is um, we do have some hearty banter at the end of the show. Um, I know we'll talk about this later uh, at the closing, but Brad and I actually talk a lot about video games in the banter. So (laughs) (laughs) not all of it, but um, if you are someone who doesn't usually listen to banter, and that's totally fine. If you're one of those people, if you just want to hear the games chat, um, maybe stick around for banter this time. Uh, Brad talks about um, recent controversy about him and his opinion on censoring games or not censoring games that came from his Twitter discussion. Uh, I will leave it at that, but we talk about that a little bit, have a discussion about taste in games and, you know, being offended and what, how far is too far and that kind of stuff. Um, I also talk about, I'm not going to talk about it right now, but I talk about a game that I have brought to the show a few times before. It's not Deus Ex Human Revolution, um, but a game that I recently revisited that came out a few years ago that I love. Um, so yeah, if you're into that, maybe stick around for banter after. If not, that's totally fine. Um, but I don't want to get too um, overloaded on, I don't know, talking about what we're going to talk about. Why don't we just talk about what we're going to talk about? So Brad, do you want to start us off on Games Chat proper? Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up that stuff because, yeah, I totally agree. If you do want to hear the extra game stuff, this would be the week to listen to the banter if you don't listen to it, because I guarantee it'll be a pretty meaty discussion about game-related topics. But that said, yes, let me... 
I want to start this off. I'm actually very, very, very excited to be uh, recording today. I mean, I'm always excited. It's always a good show. I love doing the show. <laughs> but today I am extra excited because I have two fucking awesome games to talk about. And I'm so thrilled because, you know, I, I sometimes come to the show and I, you know, I'm the guy that brings like 27 like really shitty Switch games. and I talk about them all for five minutes and I just kind of, you know, I, I got to be honest. I'm not going to say a game is great if it's not, but. I would much rather talk about great games and share something that I love than to tear down some game that I didn't think was great. And today is the day where all I have to talk about is fucking awesome stuff. So I am thrilled that today is that day. Oh didn't my god! Plan it that oh way. It just happened that way. This game is today's games are great. So let me just launch into them. First of all, I have a question for you because I cannot recall for the life of me. Did I ever talk about Far Lone Sales before? Because I went back in our, our archive and I was looking at our, our descriptions. And it didn't look like we ever talked about it, but I swear to God, I feel like I've talked about it on the show before. Have I talked about it before? You have absolutely talked about it. I can't remember what episode. It might have been like you went to a games convention or I remember you talking about like seeing a trailer for it somewhere. I don't know if it was like E3 or if it was like PAX or something because I remember you... You either saw a trailer for it or you saw or you like played a version of it somewhere because I remember you talking about it and I remember be, me personally being really interested in it. And then I found out that it was already on PC because you were talking about the console releases that were going to come out. But the game, I'm not going to say the name of it yet because we're just going to keep everybody in the loop here. Um, I guess you already have. But uh, I had seen that it was on PC and I've had it on my wish list on Steam for like months since you talked about it and it has not gone on sale and so i'm kind of playing like a like chicken right now with like the pc or the console version now that i know the console version is coming out um but i'm really happy that you are apparently coming to the show with good news because i remember you talking about it i remember being really interested in it and knowing that from what you've said so far that you like it that makes me really happy so why don't you talk about i know you talked about it before but now that you've played it uh let's talk about far alone sales Okay, so <clears throat> please excuse me if I've talked about this before. I, I must have talked about it before because I feel like I have, but I'm going to start from the beginning. Um, I originally saw this at PAX. I think it was two years ago. It was in the Indie Mega Booth, and it just caught my attention like immediately. Something about it looked so arresting and so intriguing. Uh, it's a very... I, I don't know that it's exactly black and white, but it feels very black and white. I mean, there may be little bits of color here and there, but in general, it's kind of a monotone game. But I say that in a good way because I think it's used to really strong effect. Uh, and what I saw at the at the convention was basically you play this little teeny tiny little person. Um, you're just I mean you're like you're like half an inch tall, and you're very small on the screen. And you have a vehicle, uh, and this vehicle is just like a fantasy vehicle. It's kind of like a car. It's kind of like a boat. Kind of like neither one of those things. But what happens is you have this vehicle, and you go inside of it. And when you go inside of it, it becomes like a cutaway like ant farm view where you can see like all the rooms you know what i mean like it's like a 2d side view where you can see like every passageway every hallway and every room and so there's like an engine and there's like a cargo room and there's like all these little little areas you know what i mean by like an ant farm view yeah totally okay so that's exactly what happens when you go inside and uh i just was so intrigued by it something about it just really hooked me so i was very curious talked to the, the developer he was a nice guy uh, and he said the console version was coming. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. So I waited and waited and waited and waited. And finally, finally, it's here. It is now out on Xbox One. It's also out on PS4. And of course, it's been on PC for a while. Uh, so now that I've gotten to play the whole thing, finish the whole thing, been through the whole thing, I, this game is fucking awesome. It's so good. And I love it. I love it when 
something that looks good actually ends up being really good. Like that does not always happen, but this is absolutely the case. <laughs> so um, it's a, it's a, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but like it is not really a narrative game, although narrative is kind of, kind of at the heart of what happens. I can't tell you much about the story, but it's very, very environmental based. Like there's no cutscenes, There's no, there's no dialogue in the game. There's no text in the game. Uh, no spoken text in the game. But if you pay attention to the environmental storytelling, I think it tells a pretty cool story. I really like that part of it a lot. Um, and it actually led to a very good discussion between me and my son about how to pick up environmental cues, what that means, what it means to be a player who's actively looking at the screen to kind of figure out what things are. So that was a great discussion we had homeschool-wise. But anyway, it's a very environmental storytelling kind of a game. You have the same uh, little guy gets in the ship, and then you are crossing what seems to be an ocean that has dried up. So if you imagine, like, going to the beach, slow slope into, like, the sand, and then where the water would be, there's just, like, nothing. So you don't know exactly what happened, but it's pretty clear that you're at the bottom of an ocean and there's just no water anymore. And so as you go inside your ship, it's very cool because you have to, like, manage the ship. There's no other characters. You're just you and your ship, your car, or whatever you want to call it, your vehicle. You have to f pick up things that have energy inside them and you put them inside the engine and you have to like push a button to like activate the engine to suck the energy out of the thing. And then you got to run over to the engine and you got to push a button to like make it build up some steam. But then there's too much steam. And if there's too much steam, you got to push a button to let the steam out. There's also like a brake button. There's like a little elevator you can ride up and down. And so you're kind of like managing this giant vehicle by yourself. Like you're just rolling along the bottom of this empty sea. And then you're, like, running up and down. I mean, there's about the equivalent of, like, three floors within within the ship. Uh, but it's a very small ship. Very manageable. Very tiny. It's not it's not huge. You're not going to get lost. Uh, but you just kind of roll. Like, you just, like, you know, keep the engine full. And as you keep rolling along, like, you just got to find some more stuff. Sometimes you'll see some fuel on the side of the road. You, like, pop the brake, hop outside your ship, go grab the fuel, put it back in. You take it with you. And when your fuel runs out, then you uh, fill it back up. But conserving the fuel is part of the game eventually like i totally don't want to talk too much about this because i think that just discovery is really like one of the best parts of this game uh but i i will i will say that it is not too much of a spoiler to say that at one point uh you find a sail which you can attach to the top of your ship and so sometimes you will turn the engine off and just pop the sail and like the wind will carry you along the bottom oh, of the ocean floor that sounds nice oh my god it is so beautiful <laughs> it is so atmospheric it is so lonely it is so oh my god like it's just like it is so fucking on point dude like they fucking nail like a, a such great balance between being like alone because it's just you and your ship and just seeing like these giant vistas of like you know i mean just imagine what the bottom of the ocean would look like if there's no fucking water it's like a giant plains worth of nothing like there's no seaweed there's no fish or anything and there's just, like sand and just for like as long as the eye can see and you're just kind of like popping sail and it's like you can hear the whoosh of the air as you're going along and the wheels are kind of rolling and you're just cruising along like you can leave the, the the piloting room and go up to the top of the deck and just kind of stand there and let the wind carry you along it's just like ah this is so great like it's so wonderful just to kind of just be there and experience that stuff ah on fucking point so good so stuff does happen um, you know, you do get to some places where maybe the navigating is not as easy as it was. It's not always super smooth sailing. Um, there are a lot of puzzles and I don't want to say they're like super hard, but they're all, they're all basically about trying to get your vehicle through a tough spot or, you know, over something that's a, a barrier or something's blocking your way somehow. And you got to figure out how to get through. 
Um, the vehicle has a few options on it. Uh, like I don't want to really discuss those too much, but there's a few things the vehicle, vehicle can do that can be used in different ways. And so you have to be kind of a little bit clever, think outside the box a little bit about what your, what your vehicle can do, how you can get past these certain things. Um, and uh, there's a good bit of storytelling towards the end where you have these new challenges, which seem really strange and you don't really quite know what to do, but you figure those out. It's a very friendly game. Um, there's no real fail state. You can, you can get killed, but all that happens is you just reset a little bit ways back and you just like try again. Like there's no real like punishment or anything. Like there's no points. There's no, you know, there's nothing that says like you died or anything like that. You just, you know, you just keep going. Um, so it's pretty player friendly. They just want you to kind of get the experience. And I have to say, like, I wasn't sure how it was going to end up. And man, they fucking just, the ending nails it. Like, it's so good. I, they just, from start to finish, dude, like, these guys were just, they had it all put together. Like, it's beautiful. It's thoughtful. It tells a good story without telling you too much of a story. It never slows down. Like, there's never any part that's bad of it. Like, it's just gorgeous. It's really just, like, emotional at times. And they get to the ending, and they fucking nail the ending, and it was so good. And it was like, fuck, this game is so good. <laughs> I love this game, dude. It is so good. Like, I have literally nothing bad to say about this game. This game is fantastic. Uh, for sure going to be one of my top ten of the year. Absolutely guaranteed. There's no way this is not going to be in my top ten. So I don't want to say any more about it because you got to play it. you got to just play it. I think I finished the whole thing. I mean, I don't know, four hours? It's short. I mean, you can finish it like in a day. And I've seen people speed run it in like 90 minutes or something. So you can speed run it if you know what you're doing. But don't, don't speed run it. Just go through it. Just experience it for what it is. Take your time. Just spend your time with your ship and just be out there at the bottom of the sea. Oh, man, so good. So good. Absolutely recommended to anybody. Listen. If you listen to this podcast, if you've heard this podcast more than once and you came back, this game is for you. Fucking go play this game. <laughs> Total A-plus gold star seal of approval. This game was wonderful. You Okay, so for somebody like me who was excited about this game, whenever I heard you talk about it from your experience at PAX, I'm like thrilled to hear that it's good because pretty much everything, and I feel like this does not happen often with us, but everything you're saying is pretty much making me more interested in this game. And I was already interested in it beforehand. So I'm definitely going to be picking it up, whether it's on PC or the, the console version that recently released. I will pick it up at some point. I will play it. And maybe, just maybe, we will be discussing this around game of the year time uh, early next year you've got to play this dude i i would be willing to bet basically any amount of money that you that you would like this game i mean it's not exactly it's not a walking simulator in any in any sense it's not really telling a very specific story but i think that the beats that it hits and the environment that it shows and the journey that your guy takes or your girl or whatever kind of indeterminate you're kind of all wrapped up you can't really tell what gender you are it doesn't matter anyway um it's just so good. Like, it's such a singular kind of experience. I can't really think of very much like it. I mean, I think in some ways it's kind of analogous to Journey a little bit. It's maybe analogous to um, Inside a little bit. Like, not just like those games, but there's a little bit of a, an echo of, like, what those games do. And I think you... You're a fan of those games, aren't you? Have you played... You played... I know you like Inside, right? Yeah, Inside is a masterpiece, I think. What about Journey? Did you play Journey? I liked Journey. I did not love it, but I do appreciate it. Okay, so if you... 
I, there's no way that you're not going to like this game. I mean, if you if you got through those games and you found value in both of those games, I strongly I would be I would be shocked. I would be so shocked. I wouldn't even know what to say if you ended up not liking this game. I think this game is fantastic. So play this game. Absolutely play this game. Do whatever it takes to play this game. Anybody listening, play this fucking game. This game is great. I love this game. It is so good. It's, it's, there's no fat to it. It does what it needs to do. Gets in and out. Tells a story, and it does it in such a beautiful way. Great concept. And just being in that ship and managing the ship and cruising along the ocean floor, so fucking good. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. I wonder if Far Alone Sales is going to be the is going to be our 2019 Candleman. I mean, maybe, maybe. It didn't wreck me the way that Candleman did, and I think that had a big part of why we kept championing that game cuz that Candleman fucking wrecked me, dude. Uh, <laughs> but this game, it kind of it's kind of in that same category of like indies that I think are really fucking special. So I would definitely put it in the same basket for sure. Excellent. Okay. I got nothing else to say. I don't want to say anything else because you got to just play it and experience it, but fucking play this game and get back. You will be talking about this game on the show. <laughs> All right. I will definitely pick it up soon and I'll, we, we'll, we'll revisit this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's move on. You ha- you're going to be bringing up a game that I'm actually extremely curious about. I am very curious to hear you talk about this. <laughs> Fear Effect Sedna. Where did this come from? How did this get on your radar? Why are you playing this? And tell me all about it, Corey. Uh, I'm asking myself all those same questions, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know why I'm playing this. I don't know where it came from. But let me... <laughs> let, <laughs> no, I'll tell you exactly what happened here. So I had... Okay, so for those who don't know, and I actually kind of don't know a lot of this either, um, Fear Effect, what, it originally was a PlayStation 1 game. It's probably like 20 years old or something. There were two of them on PlayStation 1. I think they were third-person action games. Corey, Help Corey me, Miley. Brad. Help me here. Corey Miley. We reviewed these games when they were brand new at the I, time. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> we had a very good relationship with these developers, as a matter of fact. We oh. were like one of the champions of the series back then. There are reviews on Game Critics you can read, and we I think we even did some interviews. Um, these developers actually started by making a couple of really shit fighting games. Um, <laughs> one of them is called Criticom, and there was a couple other ones that were just really awful. Um, and the developers heard about us because we were shit talking their fighting games so bad. We just we fucking hated those games. <laughs> oh my god! But we got to talking to them. They were actually really cool people. I think they were called Kronos Interactive, if I'm not mistaken. And then they came out with Fear Effect, and we loved Fear Effect. It went from like, oh, your game is terrible, to oh my god, this game is amazing. Okay, uh, so, so yeah. you give okay so because I I have known what Fear Effect is, but I never ever played them. So give me the only okay. So for I'm going to tell you what I think Fear Effect is, and I want you to fill in the gaps before okay. we jump into the game. So the only thing I know about Fear Effect is that it was a PlayStation 1 game, had a graphical styling that was kind of... It's like if you took, like, Siphon Filter and, like, a cel-shaded game and married them. It's kind of what it looks like to me. The big hook that I remember about Fear Effect was that it was, like, it starred two, like, hot lesbians. That was, like, kind of the thing it had going for it. It was, like, in that era of, like skin-tight, leather-clad, like, spy ladies who were lesbians. So it kind of, like, had this weird, like, kind of, like, sexploitation thing going along with it as far as, like, it being an action-adventure game. The thing that I was always confused about, and I never played it, so this is why I was confused about it, is that I didn't understand 
why it was called Fear Effect, because based on all of the marketing materials and the game covers, it looks like a third-person shooter, and I don't know what fear has to do with third-person shooting, although there is a game called Fear, and it's a first-person shooter. Um, so I don't, I, I never played them. I don't really know anything about them. So tell me how far off the mark I am, and please fill in the background for me before I talk about the new one. No, you were pretty close to the mark. I mean, they were third-person action adventures. They weren't just shooters, but they like had some um, RPG. I, mean, I, I don't want to say RPG, but they had like <laughs> adventure game elements where you know you were doing some light puzzle solving. There was definitely a lot of combat. You had three characters you could rotate through, and you were playing a group of like uh, they were like professional criminals or something. I mean, I haven't thought about this game in like twenty years, so I'm kind of just <laughs> vaguely feeling. Nobody this in. has. <laughs> I know, right? Like uh, this game. It, this game was notorious. You're correct at the time. Uh, for the ad campaigns, the ad campaigns really played up like the lesbian angle, uh, like really hardcore. Like it was just like all anybody knew about the game. But it was ironic because the writing of the game was actually really good and they didn't really do that much with it inside the game. I think Fear Effect 2 had a couple of a little bit more risque elements to it. But like when you actually played the game uh, and again, I haven't played this in like 20 years, so I, I'm, I'm just going off of that memory. I remember <laughs> it being like kind of tasteful or whatever, like it was fine, like. They had a relationship and it was okay and it wasn't really super sexploitative. I think the ad campaign is really like a lot more salacious than the game actually was. Uh, but it was cool because if memory serves, there was kind of a urban fantasy element to it. So you were like high tech, but there was also like some magic elements in it. And I thought that was really cool. And I, I believe the fear effect title came from one of the gameplay aspects was you had to manage a fear meter. Like your character would be too stressed. And if they were too stressed out, they would have like a heart attack or die. I think there was like a cardiac meter that was on the screen, I'm pretty sure. And so you'd have combat. And I'm not sure if there was life meter in addition to the cardiac meter, but there was definitely like a heart monitor kind of a thing where you had to watch that. And depending on what you did or where you were or what was going on, like it would, it would you know, rise and fall. And so that was kind of what it was. Like you couldn't let your character get too scared and too stressed. Otherwise something bad would happen. So there was an in-game justification for it. Uh, but basically all of that stuff got left by the wayside is and all anybody ever remembered was two polygon women that were kind of analogous to like what laura croft looked at at the time and they were like rolling all over each other in every fucking ad that you ever saw for the game which <laughs> sold copies but it really didn't do any justice to what the game actually was and i think everybody at game Breaks really liked it a lot it was actually a pretty cool game okay so thank you for filling me in on that because i honestly didn't really know that much about it this has been your history lesson from an old guy yes yeah, so thank you for that um I okay, so I when I saw because the the new the Fear Effect Sedna is the new one that's out, and I it hasn't been out that long. I want to say like six months, less than a year, something like that. Um, as usual, as you can tell by my intro of this game, I did very little research on this. My research is basically playing the game for like a half an hour, so I want to be clear that I have not deep dived on this game. I played it for like a half an hour, I bought it on Switch, and I had my suspicions about this game, about it being maybe mediocre, because I remembered what I thought the old Fear Effects looked like. They looked like third-person action games, third-person adventure games. But kind of the twist on Fear Effects Sedna is that after it had come back after all these years, um, this one is kind of like an isometric tactical shooter, like not unlike Shadow Tactics or something like that, um, which you talked about at length last year. Um, sort of like um, that, oh, now I can't remember the name of it, um, Bastion, like like that, kind of like an isometric, gotcha. like, gotcha. almost top-down kind of thing. So like I remember seeing screenshots of it, and I had read some stuff that you know basically said it was kind of like a gameplay departure from the original, like in that regard. 
And so that, for me, I was kind of like, okay, well, that, like, because these are games that I'm typically not, like, super interested in. Um, and then the other big red flag that went off, and that's this is the only reason I'm playing this game right now, is that this game, pretty sure it's been out for less than a year. Um, it is out on all consoles, by the way, but I just happened to see it on the Switch eShop. The game is $19.99 full price. It's been on sale recently on the Switch for... A dollar and 99 cents. Oh, Nelly. Oh, Nelly. That is quite a discount. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> like, I believe, I fully believe that if you can get something for sale, obviously cheaper, I guess, is better. Like, you know, obviously, if I'm looking at something and it's $20, then I find it for $2 later, you know, I would pick it up for $2. However, I also believe in knowing the value of your work, I guess I could say here. So like me seeing this game that I know has not been out that long, discount, I think it's like a 90% discount down to $1.99. I immediately, the red flags were all over the place. And every time for about two weeks, I opened the Switch shop, maybe every few days, and I would see it and I would think to myself, man, I'm not really that interested in this game, but it's $2. How can I pass it up? And then I thought to myself, Nope, I'm not going to get it because I know I'm probably not going to like it. And I just don't want to waste my time, whatever. And then I would open it again like five days later and it would still be on sale. And I'm like, mm, mm, how long is it going to be on sale? I kind of want it, but I don't. I don't think I'm going to like it. <laughs> and then I closed the eShop and it's all over again. And then finally last week, I think it was like my third or fourth time seeing it on sale. I saw it again and I was like... Okay, it's $1.99. Okay, I got to do I just got to do I have to do it. I, if I don't buy it now, I'm never going to buy it. It's going to go off sale in, a, in two days, and I'm going to, like, uh, you know, regret it for the rest of my life. So I I spent <laughs> that big old $1.99 to get this game. I think it was, like, $2.05 with tax or something. And I downloaded Fear Effect Sedna. Now, I if you've been listening this far, you're well aware that I don't know that much about this game other than it's, like, kind of a shooty game with lesbians. And so I start playing it and it is, so it's like an isometric kind of tactical shooter. You have both the main characters. I believe their names are Hannah and Rain. And that sounds right. That sounds right. Okay, good. And they're from, they're the same characters from the original game. So I guess it's kind of like, I don't know if it's like a true sequel to Fear Effect 2, because I guess first and foremost, one of my big complaints about the game is that for people who have never played these games, which is me, I am that audience, um, and I feel like they should expect this because the franchise is like 20 years old. It's not like Fear Effect 2 came out like three years ago. This game does absolutely nothing to set you up for the history of the game. Like, I didn't know the characters. Like, I recognized the characters. I didn't know their names. I didn't know what they did. I didn't know if they were like secret agents or if they were FBI agents or if they were cat burglars or what. I had no idea what they were. Um, and the game really doesn't help you with that. Like this game is kind of like for the fans, by the fans in a way. And it was also a Kickstarter thing. And I had read that earlier today because I was doing a tiny bit of research. This was a Kickstarter project. So it wasn't like, you know, as far, I don't know if it was original developers or not. I'm not really sure, but it was a Kickstarter thing. And I mean, I don't want to be down on kickstarter but like when you learn that a game was funded through kickstarter i feel like every time i learn that my expectations drop like three levels for it and so <laughs> and so like i already wasn't expecting very much and then i saw that it was a kickstarted game and i was like okay like that makes a little more sense 
So basically, you control both the women. You press the the trigger buttons, not the triggers, but like the, the shoulder buttons to switch between them. One of the women has like a kind of like a taser gun. The other one has double pistols. Um, you it has like you walk around the environment. And it's isometric. There's a cover system. So if you get up to any waist high thing, there's a button you press that lets you take cover. There are enemies that sometimes patrol the areas, and the enemies have like a vision cone, which is helpful because you basically know at all times exactly where they're looking and exactly how far they see because their cone is like on the floor in front of them. Like it just kind of moves as they do. There's no like radar or anything like that. So it's nice because the game kind of lets you know. Um, however, I mean, I don't know if I'm just, like, not that versed in isometric shooters or tactics games or whatever, but uh, approaching it, I thought it was going to be more kind... I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be, like, a twin-stick shooter, but I thought it was going to be in the vein of a twin-stick shooter where, like, you're pressing the left thumbstick to, like, move the character around, and then you m use the right thumbstick to, like, aim their guns, because it's, like, kind of a shooty game. Like, there's, you know, there's an action element to it. However, the right thumbstick doesn't do anything. So it does nothing. Not that I know of. You you don't aim with it. That's for damn sure. So it kind of turns into more of like, I mean, you can shoot people, but I think it has kind of like an auto aim kind of thing, because you like take cover and then you just kind of like have to use the left thumbstick to like point toward the enemy and then you press like the right trigger a bunch of times to shoot them. But it's hard because I've died a few times and that leads me to believe that it's like lends itself much more heavily to like a stealth cover game rather. I mean, it's not an action game. Like if you go into this expecting to bust into a room and just shoot a bunch of dudes and waste them, you're going to die. Cause that's what I tried to do. And it was a nightmare. So it's just like, it's an isometric tactics game and it doesn't have very good controls and it's not twin stick shootery in the way that I thought it was going to be twin stick shooter -y. did i really just say that um and the way that i thought it was going to be and it's hard because you die in like a handful of shots and it um and like the the character changing is not very fluid like from what i could tell if you have both characters on the screen at the same time and you select one of them the other one doesn't like do anything like i don't i don't remember the other character like doing any like ai taking over or anything and then to add to it, um, and this makes me think a lot of Shadow Tactics, which you're a huge fan of. Um, so I don't know, maybe if the game's still $1.99, I'm kind of like in a weird way recommending this to you because I feel like you would get this game more than I would, um, especially because I know you like this kind of tactics kind of genre. Um, the game has a thing that reminds me of Shadow Tactics from whenever I played uh, the demo on PlayStation 4 where you can like pre-plan all of your moves like you press the i think it's the back button or the minus button whatever you want to call it and it kind of like puts it into this mode where you can move both characters around and then you like press the execute button and then like they do the things you had planned for them to do however i like felt like the room that it teaches you to do that in is like one of the first room it's like the third or fourth room of the game so it's early on and like i kept like I just didn't really understand like the point of it and maybe because I'm not smart enough to get it or I'm not like tactical enough to get it but at, like in the room it taught you to use it in I just felt like it was useless because there were like two guards and they like weren't like I tried to like move her and I accidentally like moved her up into like the guards line of sight and like I would guess I was hoping that whenever you do like the execute button they would like move faster or move more fluidly but they move as fast as they would if you're controlling them, which kind of like didn't 
really make a lot of sense to me. Like, maybe I'm just too dumb to, like, understand this game because I don't usually play games like this, but I don't know. I'm just, like, not very satisfied with this game. Like, I don't quite... I'm not quite on board with the gameplay. I don't know anything about the game, like, the, the history of the game, and the game doesn't do me any favors in, like, trying to let me into what the history of the game is. It's just, like, a generic kind of, like tactical espionage kind of game and i don't know like i just wish that it were like a regular third person shooter or something that weren't kind of like off the beaten path because this is definitely like not in the vein of the old games so like maybe if you're a big fan of the old games this might click with you or if you like tactics games it might click with you um like i might go back to it and try it a little bit more and maybe see if i can like wrap my head around it maybe it's a fallout 3 situation where the first time i try it i just don't understand what the game is at all and then the second time i try it i really like understand it and it just takes that time to get into it um however i was looking at metacritic earlier and i think the metacritic score for this game is like a 50 or 60 it's really low so that leads me to believe that i'm not completely in the wrong here about thinking it's a little bit bad but i don't know maybe if you're a series vet or you like these kind of games that might be up your alley um i feel like in an odd way i would actually recommend this to you brad because i know that you have a history with the series and you like these games more than i do these sort of like tactics games but and it, especially if it's like a dollar 99 because that's super cheap but um yeah i just don't i don't know this game there's something going on here that this game is just not connecting with me and i don't know if it's me being dumb or if the game is actually bad or if i just don't get it but i'm just i don't know i'm just like not on board with it for right now is maybe like the best way I can say it. Well, it's been a long time since I played a fear effect game. And I, I, to be fair, I did like them back in the day. They were actually pretty cool. I really liked what they were doing. Pretty edgy in a good way. Um, very different for their time. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was, I think it was ahead of its time, honestly, in some ways. Um, so I do have fond memories of them, but I, I, you know, I saw this was coming out of, I'm like, oh, geez, you know, this is something that I would be probably the exact audience for because I actually played these, these old games and I do like tactics games. Um, but they weren't tactics games back then, so that is kind of different. And I honestly don't remember much about the games other than, you know, Hannah and Rain were the main characters and there was a couple other characters as well. Um, so this seems like maybe kind of a departure, but I, I, I think people that I talked to did not look on it very favorably. So I kind of stayed away from it. I mean, I would probably drop two bucks on it just to see, <laughs> but I didn't pay full price. Cause I think a lot of people were like, Oh, this ended up being not so very good, but I don't know if it would be any good because I have some nostalgia for it or maybe because I'm the tactics guy. I mean, I have no idea, but uh, I will check the switch after we get off the podcast here. If it's still two bucks, I'll pick it up. And then we, you know, if it, I'm not going to pay 20 bucks for it, but I'll pay two bucks for it. And if it's there, then we'll talk about it. And uh, if not, then I'll just wait till the next time it goes on sale. Yeah, maybe that's just my my pitch for bringing this up on the show is that I'm like, for the love of God, will you play it and tell me if it's good or not? <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. If it's still on sale, I guarantee I will pick it up and we will we will get to the bottom of this. We will get to the truth of the matter. <laughs> okay, well, we can, if it's still on sale, we can revisit it and circle back later. Um, but do you want to move on to your next game? Yes, let's move on, because as I said earlier in the show, I have two fucking awesome games to talk about, and I'm very excited. Uh, this one is currently under embargo. We cannot talk about it until mm, April 4th. So by the time... I mean, you'll probably be done with the edit before that, but you might have to sit on it for a day or two. 
because I did check to see if we could talk about it in a preview sense, and they're like, no. <laughs> Which is weird, because it's like, man, don't you realize what a good game you have? Like, are you, what are you afraid of? This game fucking kicks ass. Like, I'd be talking about this all over the place. I'd be giving this to YouTubers. I'd be getting this in the hands of anybody that could play it, because this game is great, but maybe they don't know what a good game it is. Anyway, this is a great game. It's called... Mech Extermination Force. Not a great name. I will say the name sucks. No, no this is the best name. How dare no, you? Is, first of this all, is the, this is the worst name. They could have. Uh, this is a really bad name, but it's Mech, like like big giant robot Mech. M E C H, and then Extermination. Mech Extermination Force. Terrible name. Do not like the name. But what this game is is kind of like a boss rush. It's a two D. Um, I don't, it's not pixel-based. It's kind of like a, you know, they, they render the graphics. Uh, and I'm playing it on Switch right now. You play a tiny little character, very similar to something that you would see in, like, you know, Contra or, like, an old, like, kind of, like, arcade side-to-side shooty sort of a game. You ever played Contra, Corey? Uh, I haven't, but I'm well aware of what it is. All right. So it's one of those things. You play a teeny little guy or girl. There's two guys, two girls to pick from. Doesn't matter which character you pick. It's just about which one you think suits you the best. There's no functional difference between them, uh, as far as I can tell, anyway. Um, so you pick one, and then you go into the world, and the world is just like this kind of goofy, cartoony version of just Earth or whatever. And they're like, oh my god, giant robots are all over the fucking place, and our entire army has been destroyed. You're the only person left. So get out there and kill some robots. Just go do it now. Uh, I mean, begs the question, what makes you think I can get this done when the entire army of the world couldn't get it done? But, I mean, whatever. It's a video game, right? Suspension of disbelief. So you take your person and you go out to fight a robot. And, like, these robots are enormous compared to you. Like, it's we're talking about, like, um, the same sort of a scale as, like, Shadow of the Colossus or something like that, where the robots are just, like, fucking gigantic. Um, I'm, I don't know how far through the game I am, but I've gotten to the point where like the robots are so big, you can't even see them all on the same screen with you. So they're pretty large. Um, and it's just like a boss rush. Like you get to the, you get to the, the, the robot. There's no level or anything. There's no, no grinding. You just get to it. Just get to the combat and you start off with like a regular kind of machine gun and you shoot like parts of the robot can be destroyed. So like they'll have some armor shielding on their arms or their legs or something. And you look around for weak spots on the robot. There's two kinds of weak spots. There is a, uh, a yellow weak spot, which can be dis- damaged by anything, like any kind of gun that you have. And then there's a red weak spot, which can only be destroyed by melee attack. So you also have a little hammer with you. If you can get close enough to your red spot, you swing the hammer, crack the red weak spot. And then uh, sometimes it's once and then it's destroyed. Sometimes you got to whack it a couple times. So all of these are very, like pattern-based, memorization-based bosses that are very large. And you just, like, the first time you get to every single boss, it's, like, the same loop every single time. It's, like, you get there, oh, my God, this guy kicked my ass in two seconds. Ah, fucking impossible. There's no way you can beat this guy. And then you keep trying, you're, like, oh, wait a minute, he does this certain movement. If I do this thing at this time, then I'll dodge his bullets, and then I'll be able to get inside. I'm going to try that. You die a couple more times, and then it's, like, oh, I almost got him down. I think I know what to do now. And then, like, you know, you try a couple more times, and you're, like, oh, totally killed him, didn't even take a hit. So like. It's the same loop every time. It's a really fulfilling, really satisfying loop of learning a pattern, executing the pattern, knowing the pattern, and then, you know, you defeat the boss. Um, The bosses are great. They're very well animated. They're very cool, like goofy cool looking. They're not like badass cool looking. They just look look really goofy. Like one's like a giant snail. One guy has like two (laughs) heads. One's like a cyclops and whatever. 
And like all these cool things happen, like they have these different attacks. Every time you kind of get them down a certain level of damage, like they, they change their attacks. Like one robot I fought, like he had uh, some beams he shot out of his hands. You blow up his arm armor and you take out a couple of his weak spots and then like a piece of him blows up. And then like his chest rotates down and the chest opens up and it becomes like this like alligator mouth and he's like trying to bite you with it. And he's like chasing you all of a sudden and then you got to like shoot him in the mouth and then kind of like run over and like whack him with your little melee thing. Like every boss goes through <laughs> multiple, multiple forms. And so like, it's just really cool to like learn all their patterns and see like, I mean, a lot of them are really surprising and goofy and funny. And so like, you never quite know what they're going to do. One of my favorites was a large robot who was chasing me up and down the street. I had a pretty tough time with him at first. And then I figured out what his pattern was. You had to shoot him in the neck and shoot him in the balls. And then once you got that done, <laughs> what happened? It was the funniest fucking thing was you shoot this guy in the neck and the balls. You blow up his weak spots and then his body split in half. And then each one of the halves became like a separate robot. So then you were fighting two robots at once all of a sudden. Nice. And I was like, oh, man, so cool. So fun. I mean, I died immediately. But then once you knew it was coming, then you were ready for it. And then, you know, you could take it on. Um, but just really cool animations, really cool, fun surprises. Uh, the thing that's really also that really puts it over the top is that they really want you to play this game and they really make it accessible for you. So you're going to die. You're going to die a million times, but you can buy some extra life containers. That's not very expensive. Just by playing a few times, you'll rack up enough money. You'll be able to afford some of those things. Also, you don't need to win a battle in order to get money because when you shoot robots, money just kind of flies off them. And as long as you pick it up, even if you keep losing and losing and losing, eventually you will make enough money to like buy the next upgrade. And that upgrade will put you that much closer to fighting and beating the robot. So even when you're losing, you're still kind of winning because not only are you learning the robot's patterns and practicing, but you're also getting money that'll buy you new guns. And there's um, a bunch of guns you can buy and you can rotate through the guns anytime you want to. There's no ammo, no limits. Uh, you also get these special little magnet magnet gloves so that you can start climbing on the robots. And that becomes a really fun element where at first you're just running around dodging their big giant robot feet. But once you, uh, once you get the magnet gloves, you can like blow off pieces of their legs. It exposes like the metal core and then you can like climb up their, their legs. One of the best battles so far is this giant guy uh, with like two, kind of two heads. You blow up his legs, you crawl inside his body. Then all of a sudden it cuts away to like, again, ant farm. Ant farm is the theme of the day today. The <laughs> ant farm view of his body. You're like inside his chest cavity and there's all these like little guns inside of his chest. And you're kind of like crawling on the walls, crawling on the ceiling, jumping back and forth and kind of like making your way internally up inside his body, up into the, the neck and head area. And then you got to crawl up through his neck and like blow up his head. I mean, it was fucking awesome, dude. It was like a cool fucking <laughs> boss battle. Super reminiscent of something that might be on the SNES. It looks a little better. Controls a little better. More updated, more smooth, of course. But like it, it definitely has that kind of like 16 bit, like action adventure, just like all balls out kind of vibe to it. Really good stuff. I'm like, I'm fucking loving it. Um, I love the guns. I love the action. I love the robots. I love how player friendly it is. I mean, I'll die 20, 30 times on a boss, but like, it never is really that punishing because you always get a little further. And with the money accumulation, like you're always like, oh, okay, well, I died two more times, but I can afford this new gun now. And boy, this new gun is pretty badass. I'm going to come back and get this guy next time. And so it never really spanks you down, never makes you feel like you got too punished and it keeps you going, which is great. Um, I just, I love everything about it. I mean, I will say I do have a couple like, like really minor criticisms of it. I think the, um, the jumping just has like a fraction of a fraction of a second of a sticky feeling to it when you're jumping I mean, it's almost unnoticeable but for me i noticed it just like a little bit like it's not bad it's just like okay wait i wish that was just like i wish that 0.001 nanoseconds of stickiness wasn't there like i wish it was like a little bit 
little bit less sticky. And when you're walking, it did feel like your character was like a little bit too slippery. Not super slippery, but every once in a while, I felt like I took maybe one step more than I meant to take. And so that, you know, might be the difference between living and dying, basically. But uh, <laughs> it's not bad. Like, I'm not saying the controls are bad. Just like a, a tiny little nudge on the controls. And I think this thing would be just like absolutely perfect. Um, but I love it anyway. The controls are not dissuading me from, from playing this game. I do not... I do not discourage anybody from playing this game. This game is great. If you want like a really fun boss rush, you know what this actually reminds me of? And actually my son actually made this observation. So my son is brilliant. Uh, he is nine and he is just the most brilliant little guy. Um, he's like, oh dad, this reminds me of Cuphead. And I'm like, yes, it does, except it's not fucking terrible. It's fucking <laughs> awesome. If you like the idea of Cuphead where there's these really cool bosses, really cool animation, and if you like the idea of like a really low fat game with just like boss rush sensibilities, this game has a much better difficulty curve. It's much more playable, much more player friendly. Um, it doesn't feel like you're just getting punched in the face every time you play like one of the bosses. Like it just feels better to play. So um, I love this game. I think this game is great. I would recommend it to anybody who wants kind of like a Contra 16 bit SNES sort of a boss rush actiony, well animated game. I just think it's so fun. It's great in short bursts. You can you know, take one boss out and feel like you accomplished something, put it away, come back to it later, no big deal. Uh, it's just good. It's good all the way around. Really, really tight. Um, these developers, I believe they're called Horberg Productions. Uh, they're responsible for Gunman Clive, which was on iOS. It might be also on the Switch. Did you ever play Gunman Clive? I don't even know what that is. I think I must have played it sometime back in the day. I think I played it on the phone and I didn't like the controls. But now that I'm really liking Mech Extermination Force, I'm thinking I'm going to go back to Gunman Clive. I'm pretty sure it's on the Switch, and I suspect that might be a better game with actual controls. So I'm going to try that out and see if I like that. Uh, but Mech Extermination Force is the shit, dude. This game is so good and so fun. Smart design decisions, smart balance, smart difficulty curve, great animations, great robots. It's just, it's so good. I'm so happy that I've got two awesome games to talk about this show. I am shocked first of all that you have two awesome games you want to talk about and also as amazing as this game sounds and as much as i trust your opinion on it this sounds like a million percent not the thing that i would ever want to play but i am entertained by hearing you talk about it uh well good good i'm glad it is not something i would recommend to you i don't think this is your jam <laughs> um but yeah if you if for people listening who do like this kind of thing this is great i think it's so just really well done i just I just have to really applaud these guys for, like, just the smart design and the smart choices they're making. It's just everything about it is just, again, just really on point. I'm really, really happy with this game. I think this game is wonderful. I wish that they would not have embargoed it because I'd be talking about this game on Twitter 24-7, but they are in lockdown, and I'm only talking about it now because I know that we will not put the show out until after the 4th. So I wish they would be um, more, you know, easygoing with the embargo. I wish they took more confidence in it, but uh, this game is the shit. It's really, really good. Totally recommend it. Great fit for the Switch nothing bad to say about it i love it so that's two awesome games this show and i couldn't be happier um any questions Corey? should we move on uh i was just going to say that these developers are going to be kicking themselves whenever this game comes out and it does not sell well and you could have been selling it for them this entire time oh man nothing sucks more than when i really want to like hype a game and i really want to get word out and they just don't let you and it's just it's so painful um <laughs> i really hope this one doesn't get buried in the rush i know there's a lot of stuff coming out for switch I know this is not a big studio, and the way that the PR is approaching it, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of confidence in it, but this game is dope. It's so good. So hopefully people will find it. I will be tweeting about it after the 4th, 
this show will be released after the 4th. Hopefully people will, will get word of this and it'll find success because these guys did a goddamn great job. I am just <laughs> couldn't be more thrilled with this game. This is wonderful stuff. So, Enough of Mech's Termination Force. Corey, you're going to be talking about Spider-Man. We talked a lot about Spider-Man. You loved it. I did not love it so much. Still a good game, though. The DLC. I've heard a lot about the DLC. I am not coming back to the DLC. I will not ever play Spider-Man again. But you, sir... Um, I guess, tell us which DLC you played and what you think of it. Well, I have, you're correct. I played this game. I loved it. I think it was my number two game of the year last year or my runner up for game of the year. Um, Basically, since I played it, I've been like waiting for the season pass or for any of the DLC to go on sale because it came out and then they released like there's three DLC packs out that are basically like chapter additions to the game. It's all story based DLC. It's not like weird like challenge rooms or just like other stuff. It's just straight on more story stuff. They did kind of like a once a month thing where like they would release one chapter of DLC each month until they had three out. And I think that's all they're doing. I haven't heard anything about them releasing anything else. Um, And I've been waiting for it to go on sale or for the season pass to go on sale because I knew deep in my heart and my video gamey heart that it was going to go on sale at some point even though this game was successful as all get out nothing stays full price forever so i knew it was going to go on sale and finally finally the dlc went on sale the season pass went on sale about three weeks ago i immediately bought it it was on i think it was on a playstation plus sale or something like that it wasn't even that much off i think it was like 20 percent off or something so it wasn't even that great of a sale but i thought damn it, I've been waiting so long for this. Like, I need to just buy it now. I want to get this DLC. It had been long enough to where I wanted to get back into Spider-Man, and I had been letting a friend borrow it. So I bought it, and then, like, I waited a week or so to get it back from him, and then I jumped in. So I can't remember, because I'm a terrible person, I can't remember the name of each of the DLCs. One is called, like, The Heist, and one is called something else. I can't remember. It's not really that important. There's just three of them. Is it The Other Heist? Is it what? Is it the other heist? It's the heist and the other heist. <laughs> the first one's called the heist. The second one's called the other heist. And the third one is called the other heist. other heist. <laughs> the other other heist. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yes, I love that. <laughs> Definitely. It's uh, Marvel putting those that marketing money to work with Insomniac trying to name their DLC. Um, but it's uh, basically like once you wrap Spider-Man, um, it just like most open world games... Um, you can continue to play in the city. There's, like, side quest stuff for you to do. There's crimes around the city. Um, you could just keep flying around or flying, web-swinging around, I guess. And eventually they patched in a New Game Plus mode. I have not started a New Game Plus, but they have, like, the full-on New Game Plus experience now where you keep your upgrades and then you just go through the rest of the game all over again. Uh, but then they have the DLC, and in order to access the DLC, I don't know if this is important or not, but I think it's kind of important. Um, you have to go into the pause menu and actually, like, load the DLC. And the weird thing is that, like, whenever you go to access it, and each chapter is its own thing, it kind of, like, whenever I first went in, it was like, oh, if you load the DLC, you will lose all progress since your last checkpoint. So I was worried that the DLC was going to, like, wall you off into, like, a really small part of the city, and it was going to take place there. Because it kind of makes you think that you're, like, starting this, like, like loading this new journey kind of thing. But it loads, and then it just drops you right back in the city. So if you buy it and you are and you think it's going to do something weird, it doesn't. It just loads the DLC, and then it puts you right back in the city where you were. Um, not sure why it has to load, but, I mean, I guess it's neither here nor there. 
So the D- all three DLCs feed into each other, and they all end on like kind of cliffhangery endings. And I'm not going to spoil it, but I- I'll just set up the story. So the first one um, involves Black Cat, who is in the campaign a tiny bit through some side quests, um, and then she kind of like doesn't really come back. She doesn't die or anything, but she just like isn't in the game anymore. Um, and then uh, and for those who are familiar with the comics or with, I guess, like Spider-Man lore, um, there's a big kind of like side story about Spider-Man and Black Cat. Like kind of, he kind of like takes her under his wing to like teach her, like, I don't know, Spider-Man-y ways and they end up dating, but she's a cat burglar. So, you know, they break up because they, you know, she's kind of like a bad girl and he's a good guy and whatever, but they have like a past, a, a romantic past. And so she shows up in the DLC and basically like, he kind of, Spider-Man kind of gets tied up in this, like, she's stealing stuff, and he's trying to figure out what she's doing, and he's kind of on her tail, and then they end up working together for part of it, and I, I'm i not going to spoil all of it, but I do like the first, the first chapter because it really focuses on the two of them and their relationship and the jobs that they're doing together, and it's cool because it kind of takes the game, like, the bigger game is kind of like this big superhero-y, supervillains, like conspiracy thing going on in the city and i like the first dlc because it like really shrinks it down to like she's doing these heists he's trying to figure out what she's doing they end up working together and it's just like a nice like more intimate story and i like her as a character in the game and then uh peter parker is kind of like torn between because he's kind of in a relationship with mj or mary jane and then like black cat comes back into his life so he's got this kind of like dual thing going on where like he, kind of, he still likes Black Cat, obviously, and she's kind of, like, being super flirty with him all the time. And then, like, he's calling MJ to, like, get mission briefings or, like, ask her about how, like, her reporting is going for the Bugle and stuff. And so it's kind of cool to have this dynamic, uh, like, among the three of them where he's kind of being torn back and forth. Um, and then, like, the, the DLC ends up kind of blossoming into, like, a bigger, like, gang territory thing where it's, like, now that the supervillains are gone, there's, like... Um, kind of like a gang war going on in town. Um, and it's led by Hammerhead, who is a villain that I'm not really familiar with, but I, I don't know how famous he is in like the Spider-Man universe, but he's kind of like the main villain in the DLC and he's heading up a gang and it's just kind of like a gang on gang thing. And you're trying to like figure out they're like stealing tech around the city and becoming like super powered. It kind of ends up like dissolving down into kind of like a, I don't know, just kind of like a, mediocre like gang war thing um but i haven't finished all of it so i don't know how it wraps up so i can't and i obviously wouldn't spoil it even if i did because i'm like pretty close to the end of the third dlc but now that i've spent 45 minutes setting up the story of this dlc i'm sure people are like all right just get to the game um i mean all i could really say here is that it's kind of just more of the same which for me was good because I like Spider-Man a lot. So, I mean, it's kind of the classic case of, like, if you didn't like Spider-Man, this DLC is, like, not going to do anything to change your mind because it basically just sets up... uh, Each DLC has a handful of story missions, and I'm actually really impressed with how long each DLC has been because I was wondering if I was going to boot it up and it was going to be like, all right, you have your two story missions, and it's over. But really, you have probably, like, maybe, like, five or so, like, big story missions, and then... There's a bunch of, like, side mission stuff that gets scattered around as well. So you end up having, like, you know, sort of, like, bases to go in and take over. And, you know, there's these different, like, there's this character in the game called Screwball. And she's kind of like 
a really annoying like YouTuber, and she sets up these streaming scenarios where like she lures Spider Man into an area, and she has her like webcams on and basically like unleashes like bad guys on him or something, and she like streams him in danger in order to like grow her numbers. So it's kind of relevant because it's very like social media and sort of like Twitch and YouTube focused. But she's really annoying, which on one hand is, like, great because she's supposed to be annoying. But on the other hand, it's, like, she's really fucking annoying. So, like, doing those missions is kind of terrible because you have to, like... She's just really obnoxious, um, you know, in a very, like, youtube sense. Um, so, it like, it has a lot of those side missions. Um, so, I'm just, like, pretty impressed with, like, the length of it overall. I spent, like, a lot of the weekend playing through it, and I haven't finished all of the DLC yet. And it has, like, some new interior environments. In the first DLC, there's a great... Um, you go into an art museum, and, like, kind of one of the big things about Spider-Man is that it has a really great photo mode. And, like, if you follow me on Twitter, I've been posting, like, a shitload of Spider-Man screenshots lately. And, like, the art museum in the first chapter is just, like... It's, like, the chef's kiss of, like, great interior... Um, areas to do like great photo mode stuff in so i was like having a field day just like spending an hour just going around the museum and like putting on spider-man's different outfits and like doing different photo mode stuff and making him jump and then freezing the frame and you know setting up the lens and taking pictures and i was really uh impressed with just sort of like the interior environments that they've done for the game because some of it is outdoors in the streets but they have a lot of good like interior missions which i'm pretty satisfied by um, some of my criticisms, I feel like my big criticism of the DLC so far is that a lot of it is really combat focused. Um, and I think Spider-Man has a good combat system. I don't think it has a great or a phenomenal combat system, but it's probably like, I mean, I consider the Batman games like Arkham Asylum and Arkham City to be like the gold standard for like this kind of combat. And this is like, one step away from that. So, I mean, if I'm comparing it to, like, the best thing ever, and it's, like, the best thing that I've found since then, it's obviously pretty good, but I don't think it's as good as the Batman games. Um, but a lot of it is just more of that. Like, it introduces a few new enemy types. Like, there's an enemy type that has this giant Gatling gun, so that's, like, kind of a scary um, situation. And it just has a lot of, like, really big fights where there's, like, a ton of dudes... And they have, you know, enemies that don't have any weapons. They have enemies with stun batons, enemies with shields, enemies with these, like, plasma shields that rush you. Eventually, the enemies have jetpacks. Some have rocket launchers, the new Gatling gun guy. They have, like, heavy dudes. So there's, like, a lot of stuff going on in these fights. And I feel like the DLC leans into action a little bit harder than I wish it did. Like, I wish it was a little more, like, story and exploration, maybe a little bit more stealth or just, you know, something else. But it kind of devolves into that, you know, you go into a, an area, you start the mission, you maybe swing around the city a little bit, and then somehow or another it ends up in, like, some giant fight to finish the mission more often than not. So I wish it were a little bit lighter on that. But I also have to keep in mind that I'm playing all these DLCs at once. So, like, if I had played them as they had come out monthly, I probably wouldn't feel this way so just be warned that if you're like if you get tired by the combat in the game maybe space out the time you play the dlcs um but long story short it's more of spider-man i loved spider-man so it's really nice to be able to just kind of get back in the saddle play it more every dlc has three new suits in it you get the first one after you beat the first mission you get the second one after you beat the last mission you get the third one after you do all of the side stuff that that dlc introduces so it's kind of like a good um 
you know, way to like get you to complete more stuff to get all the suits. And that's kind of like a big draw for Spider-Man on PS4 is that there's like a bunch of suits in it. So it's cool to just be able to change them into time and run around. Like I'm kind of a sucker for that kind of cosmetic stuff. As we discussed last week when we talked about the division two at length, um, it's nice to be able to equip whatever suits you want and just kind of like look cool while you're, you know, out kicking ass and webs, uh, like web swinging around dudes and stuff. But yeah, it's more of the same. I like it. I actually like it. I more than just like it. I might love it. Um, but if you didn't like it or you didn't get on with Spider-Man in the first place, this DLC is not going to do anything to change your mind. There's no new game modes. There's no like differences and really what you've seen before. Um, but I like it. So if you've been dragging your feet on buying Spider-Man DLC because you weren't sure if it's good or not, I'm here to report that it is very good. Excellent, excellent. Um, I was not the biggest Spider-Man fan, so I probably will not be dipping in. I actually, it's funny you say that it leans into the combat too much because I found that the main campaign had way too much combat for my taste. <laughs> I felt like, I mean, I, I played it before they implemented the new easy mode, I guess. I heard somebody say that they, one of the patches gave like a brand new, like easy, easy mode. And I probably would have played that if I had played it because... I like Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man's cool, but I just like, there was just like a lot of combat and it just wasn't really that fun. And I felt like you had to do like a lot of it. So I'm going to give it a pass. I'm glad you're enjoying it though. And I know a lot of people really like Spider-Man and I'm happy to see a good Spider-Man game come out. Not my thing, not my thing. So I'm just going to say happy for you. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> it's kind of our, um, part of our running theme for the show today. Like, all right, I'm glad you liked it, but it's not my thing, but let's move on. <laughs> that's what makes our game, our game, our, our show about games so good, man, is we can, we can see something that's good, realize it's not for us and we don't need to get mad about it. We don't need to tear anybody down. We just say, glad you like it. And let's, you know, live and let live. That's what's so good about the Soviet games podcast. I think. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, that's all I have to say about Spider-Man. Do you have anything else you want to discuss? No, man, I am all talked out. I just do want to give another shout out to people. Um, if you like the show, if you like what we had to say, but you don't usually listen to the banter, I think this is the day that you maybe want to listen to the banter. Um, we do have a lot of game-oriented stuff in there, and we do talk about something that's, I mean, kind of a heavy topic. Um, you know, censorship, delisting games, racism, that kind of thing. So if that seems like it's up your alley, I would strongly encourage you to listen past the closing music and hear the banter. Uh, but if you don't want to, that's totally fine, too. We put it in the banter for a reason. If you just want the game stuff, there you go. I have nothing else to say this week. Uh, and I'm really glad, again, that I got to talk about two great games. Don't count on this being a trend, though. <laughs> I'm sure I'll find something awful for next week. We'll see. Oh, boy. Yeah, next week you're going to come back with, like, 15 Switch games, and you're going to like half of one of them. That is very possible. <laughs> very, very possible. But we will find out next week. But that's all I got for this week, man. Excellent. That's all I have, too. So we can close out the show. Um, if you've been listening this far, thank you. It brings us to the end of the So Video Games Podcast episode 125. Um, I'm not going to go on about the banter because Brad just covered that. Um, but we'll catch you guys next week for the next show. If you guys want to get in touch with us, uh, please remember you can send us any thoughts, any comments, any feedback, uh, games that you're interested in us discussing anything like that um if you listen to the banter and want to add to the discussion um after the banter section brad invites some discussion if you're interested in 
talking to him about anything that he brings up, um, by all means, uh, we're open to discussion. Just please don't be an asshole. That's like the one thing we ask. And luck- luckily, like we actually don't really get anybody that writes into no, us. No, our that fans is an are asshole. great. We have awesome fans. Yeah, just you know, be cool. Basically, is what I'm trying to get at. Um, also, uh, I didn't tell you this, Brad, which this really doesn't make a difference to you, but I've traded a handful of emails with a listener named Brian recently, and um, he. I wanted to tell you this, but I forgot. Um, he played Florence recently and emailed the show to let us know that he liked it and he was glad that we recommended it and that he um, it was so much more than he expected out of a uh, out of a mobile game. And so he's very appreciative of like the indie gems that we bring to the show. And we didn't even like plan for our show to be like this, but whenever you play so many video games, it's like you kind of have to jump into the indies a lot because there's so many out there. And I feel like a lot of people that listen to the show appreciate the fact that we like kind of wade through the pool of indies so that we can try to find the good ones and then bring them to the show so uh brian thank you for your email um i'm glad that you played florence because it's wonderful and everybody should play florence um but yeah if you want to get in touch with us um just like brian did um you can email us uh our email address is so video games podcast at gmail.com you can also post comments on the Game Critics site when the shows go live over there. Every show is on its own page, almost like a news story, and there's a comment section underneath it. Keep in mind, we moderate the comments, so just because you post something does not mean it's going to get approved if you're a jerk, but we approve most comments, <laughs> so just keep that in mind. Um, uh, you can not also... this week. Not this week we're not approving comments. No, no, no. Maybe next week we will, but not this week. Oh, my gosh. Closed comments for this week. Um but you can also find us on Twitter. That is a good place to get in touch with us. It's maybe the best place to get in touch with us. We are as we are a collective show on Twitter at So Video Games. And last but probably not least, you can get in touch with us individually on social media. Uh, Brad, would you like to give out your handles? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. You can also find me on Instagram. I've been a little bit more active on Instagram lately. I'm trying some new things out there. So please feel free to follow if you like. Uh, but you can find me. It's my name, B R A D. G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Excellent. And my username on Twitter and Instagram is also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And that's the end of the show. Brad, do you have anything else before we sign off? No, that's it. But as always, thank you folks very much for listening. We're glad to have you as fans and hope you're enjoying the show. And uh, join us next week when we're back. Yes, all those things and more. Um, But that brings us to the end of episode 125. We'll be back with 126 next week. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And this is bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. All right, here we are. Here we are. Um, you want to just get to the elephant in the room first? I was thinking maybe we would keep it to the banter rather than the proper show. What do you think? Um, are you talking about your discussion? Yes, my my. Hold on a second, fucking. We ha- okay, so like it's really warm today, <laughs> like unexpectedly. It's yeah. almost like a summery day, so I've got the doors open because we're roasting. We do not have air conditioning, so I apologize if uh, really loud Harley is go riding by on the road. I just we're dying in here, so I got to open up uh, the doors. So hopefully it won't be too loud. Uh, yeah, talk about my season in hell just real briefly if we can talk about that. <laughs> Your hell weekend. Oh my god, yeah. All right, so let me just launch into it. Feel free to contribute if you want to. If not, I'll just I'll just get this out there because 
I, I just feel like they need to clarify a little bit. And I was talking to some people and I figured I would mention on the podcast and stuff. So let me just let me just start from the beginning. So that's the best place to start. The very best place to start. <laughs> OK, so how this all started, uh, we got sent a review code for Beat Cop, which I actually talked about on the last episode. You remember Beat Cop, right? Of course, this is the game that was supposed to be inspired by like 80s and 90s cop shows that was kind of racist and sexist, right? That was super racist and kind of sexist, yes. So it was really offensive to my personal sensibilities, and I thought that it was really poorly done in general. I mean, basically, every black person in that game is kind of shown as like a watermelon-eating criminal, which I thought was really in poor taste and very like, just not okay these days, just not okay to do that, you know? Just not, not fine. So... I talked to PR about it, and I'm like, what the hell, dude? Like, this is, like, super racist. And the PR was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm not saying it's a good game or a bad game. It's only my job to get these review codes out here. So whatever (laughs) you want to say is totally fine with me. And they're like, personally, I didn't care for it. So I'm like, okay. Wow. Wow. So I'm not naming names, but, you know, the PR person was basically telling me that they knew what was up with this game. So, I mean, they got a job to do. Whatever. It's a job, right? I get that. Not a problem. So... I'm like, I can't review this game because I find it kind of disgusting and I don't want to, honestly, I just didn't want to play it because I just found it really kind of repellent. So what I ended up doing was I wrote a, an article and I posted that on Game Critics. It's a, a blog post and it goes under the heading of a series that we do called This Is Not A Review. Are you familiar with that, Corey? I have written some of them. Yes, so I am. So you are very familiar. So uh, I, I, what I did was I took a bunch of screenshots of the game because I'm like, you know what? If I talk about this game, people are going to call me out or they're going to, you know, they're going to want to know what's up with this. So I'm going to let the game speak for itself. I took a bunch of screenshots of all the stuff that I found to be really offensive. And I, I wrote a little bit. I mean, it was kind of like explaining the context of what was going on. And then just the screenshots are there. They're all for anybody to see. So I posted that. And I'm like, okay, hey, this game is super racist. I don't think this is okay. I think the developer should be ashamed for doing this because it's a really awful portrayal of black people and they're not very nice to women either. And I was like, you know, the, the publisher should also be like ashamed of like putting this out there because any good publisher these days should really try to vet this stuff out. And, uh, you know, this is just not okay to put this stuff out. Like, it's just not. It's not. Okay. So I posted that article and then I... Uh, tweeted it out and so to be clear in the article I'm, I'm letting the game speak for itself i also highlight the parts that i didn't like explain the context and at the very end i say basically you know i think the developer should probably apologize for what they did here because it's really like over the line and i think that they should maybe patch this stuff out and that was kind of where i left it i also said i was surprised that nintendo let it through their screening process because i think in general nintendo is pretty good about screening stuff like this out i mean not perfect nobody's perfect but i i was kind of surprised because the stuff in this game is pretty overt and pretty like pretty out there i mean they're calling people racial slurs within the first 60 seconds of gameplay and that to me was like a little bit over the top so i posted that article and then i tweeted about it and i'm gonna i'm gonna just own this right now okay so when i tweeted about this i was guilty of the thing that i often chastise my writers for and that is Writing something where you know what you mean, but you do not fully explain what you mean. That happens all the time. Human beings do it every single day. I am guilty of it as well. And I was guilty of it this time because when I tweeted this out, I said, I said, oh, here's a link to my article about Beat Cop. It's super racist and I think it should be delisted. And I left it at that because in my mind, I was thinking it should be delisted until they can fix it. Or if they're not going to fix it, maybe just take it off. 
but I didn't say all that. It was Twitter. It was late. I just was like, you know, in my mind, I knew what I was saying. And that's what I'm guilty of. So I apologize to anybody who is morally against the censorship of games. I mean, we're going to talk about it in a second. But anyway, I'm just going to own that. I should have tweeted that in a more clear sense. So my bad. Tweeted that out. And somebody in alt-right Twitter caught wind of that really quickly. Um, I didn't, like, track where this article went. A couple of people, like, took offense at it, like, right away. Somehow it got into, like, the Gamergate circles, the alt-right circles, like, all of those, like, like the dark, dank sewer of the Twitter and the internet. Um, apparently the developer had talked about it on Reddit and he had stirred up some stuff over there. I, don't, I didn't read that post, but people told me they saw it on Reddit and the comments were pretty bad. So whatever. But basically what ended up happening was I got an avalanche of Gamergators and alt-writers uh, just like descending on my Twitter feed. I mean, it was like a like the feed was going so fast. I couldn't read the comments because the comments were coming in so quickly that they just were like replacing each other so quickly. So it was all just like really hateful messages, like really, um, I mean, very derogatory. They were talking about me. They were talking about, you know, my family. They were talking about my sexual preferences. They were talking about the site. They were talking about like all, you know, just all sorts of really hateful stuff. And it was weird because, you know, it, it, this really dovetailed very strongly with what's going on in America and with the Trump movement and people who are Trump supporters uh, I'm not going to get super deep into this, but I know that a lot of people today, when we look at the trouble we're in in this country with Trump and the cult of Trump and how things are going the way that they're going, a lot of people now these days are saying, well, you know, if you trace things back, a lot of this got started with Gamergate. Like a lot of the tactics they use, a lot of the psyops they use, a lot of the the attitudes and a lot of the, the norms that they had in Gamergate are very strong and very present and run parallel with the stuff that's going on with Trump. And I found that to be very true. Um, I found a lot of the people who were um, hate spamming me either had uh, pictures of guns and rifles in their portrait picture. There was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh, Trump pictures. There was a lot of those, um, that fucking Peppy the Frog, whatever the racist frog mm, is. A lot of yeah. that in there. Tons of big titty anime pictures. And like, it was all just like one after another, one after another, one after another. Um, I got hit with a lot of bots. And uh, people were making fun of me because they thought it was silly that I was that I suspected I was under bot attack, except I kept getting like a lot of um, tweets from people who had like one or zero followers. I mean, obviously, the, the account had just been created. And like a lot of them were saying the like literally the exact same thing, the exact same phrasing, the exact same number of letters and the exact same structure. And it was the same message getting sent over and over and over and over and over. So clearly it was a bot doing it. It wasn't people doing that. So. Um, you know, and then and then it was the whole like gaslighting thing about like, oh, you said you should ban this game. You're actually the authoritarian. You're the one who's against free speech. You're the communist. You're the one who hates liberty. And it's like a total like reversal of like what was actually happening. Right. Because so. So that was pretty terrible. I mean, I was literally blocking people. I mean, for like hours at a time, like I would just sit at my computer, block, 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 just like for like a solid hour, hour and a half, just a couple times, just blocking literally hundreds of people uh i removed a bunch of comments from game critics uh that were just again just really hateful really just really insipid stupid messages um I, there were a couple people i mean out of all the messages that i got and there were like i don't even know how many there were uh there were maybe like four or five people who actually wanted to have like a dialogue about it 
And I didn't want to mute the entire conversation because there were a couple people in there that were like, oh, well, you know, what do you think about this? And I think you're wrong, but I but I want to discuss it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, if there's actually people out there, I'm happy to discuss it because I, I want to be on record as saying I am not generally in the camp of, like, censorship. I'm not generally in the camp of delisting games. Um, but I think that there are certain things that just kind of cross the line. Um, you know... One of the people in my feed started yelling at me because they're like, oh, you want to ban this game just like you banned Rape Day. God, fuck all you guys. And it's like, <laughs> I, did you follow the whole Rape Day thing when that happened? Oh, yeah, of, of course. How could you not? Yes. So I think Rape Day was over the line. I'm glad it got delisted. And I think that I want to just like back everything up and I want to be really clear about this. So again, I apologize for my tweet not being clear. Anybody that like saw that tweet and assume that I was like pro censorship all the time. Like my bad. I totally apologize. I should have tweeted that more clearly. But my basic point is correct because the racist stuff that's in Beat Cop, along with other racist stuff we've seen around there, I think that in general, I'm not saying you can't, tw you know, make a game about racist stuff or sexist stuff or whatever, but you have to do it with care and you have to do it with purpose. If you're putting out a game that has like a historical aspect and you want the player to experience that aspect. Um, somebody, I did not play this, but somebody said, what was the game recently? It was um, a number three game and it, it started a black Vietnam vet who was coming back to New Orleans after the Vietnam war. Uh, are you talking about mafia three mafia three? Okay. I didn't play that, but a lot of people held that up as an example of a game that had a lot of racist content. And I'm like, okay, Sure. In full disclosure, I didn't play it, but from what I understand, it was kind of about that person's experience as a black vet coming back. And so, like, that had something to say. That that makes sense to me. Or if there's other games, I mean, I'm, I don't know, I don't, have, I don't have a bunch of examples, but if there's a game where it's like they're using it to make a point or they're using it to teach a lesson or to make an artistic statement with it, I think that's totally fine. I think you just need to be very careful about what you're doing with it. I don't think it's okay to fill a game full of racist content and just say, oh, our free, freedom of speech, artistic, whatever, blah, 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 can't touch me. Like, I think that's really careless, and I think it's really dangerous because in this particular day and age, we are kind of at a tipping point, especially here in the United States, although also across the world. And I think that we're really in danger of normalizing a lot of stuff that's really dangerous, a lot of, like, really racist thinking, a lot of authoritarian thinking, a lot of... Uh, thinking that could really destabilize the country and that is really dangerous to a lot of people, people who are anti-gay, people who are anti-anybody who's not white, people who are anti-women, people who are, you know, anti-minorities or anti-immigrants. I mean, a lot of this stuff is really dangerous if we don't, like, watch it and keep it under control and, like, you know, use it sensibly. So I, I don't want to see anybody normalize this stuff. And I felt like Beat Cop was, like, a game that really tried to normalize these portrayals, these incredibly negative portrayals of black people. Um, a lot of people were like, so what? Who cares? Get over it. Don't play it if you don't want to play it. And fuck you for censorship. And I'm like, okay, sure, fine. I get all that. But at the same time, as a person who's a father, as a person who's a husband, as a person who has uh, LGBT people in my actual family, as well as most of them being like very close friends, being friends with people who are of other uh, ethnicities, I can't just stand by and, and play like the, oh, I'm a critic and I'm neutral card. When I see this damage being done across the country, when I see this kind of like hate speech slowly like worming its way into the public consciousness. So I don't regret publishing that article. Uh, I do think that the developer is very irresponsible. They're either 
they're either very ignorant. Some people who were from outside the country said, oh, you know, I think they're just Polish and they don't really understand like what a big impact that this has in America. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I think it's irresponsible of them to do this thing, which is very intentional. It's not like a game just pops out of nowhere, right? Like a game is created with purpose. Everything in a game is made with purpose. You clearly made every black person a criminal. You made every black person like a watermelon, cigarette smoking, like hoodlum. You did that with purpose. That didn't just happen. So if for whatever cultural reason you want to claim you're from Poland, you don't know what America's like, maybe you saw this on TV, you thought that's how it was, I mean, whatever. The point being, if that's not really what you believe as a developer, I think you owe everybody a fucking apology because it's fucking disgusting what you did. And if you want to apologize and maybe like erase that stuff out of your game by, you know, patch some of that stuff out, make some of the criminals white, take the watermelon out of the black people's hands, I think that would be a great thing to do. That'd be a very good faith effort to show that maybe you made a mistake and you regret it. And if you stand your ground and say, no, nah, this is what we want to do, well, then fuck you. I don't really feel bad about wanting to see your game removed because it's just another step towards like this alt-right, like proto-Nazi, like new world order that I feel like we're creeping towards. And it scares the shit out of me. And if, if me taking a step towards like getting some of this stuff spotlighted or or to get more people to see this and to and to shun it, then so be it. So I'm not generally against censorship. I don't generally want to remove games. I don't even really want this game removed. I kind of want them just to fix it. And I, I'm hoping that they're just ignorant and they just, you know, didn't really mean it. Uh, but what they put out was really fucking gross and I don't like it. And I think that any moral upstanding person wouldn't see the value in what they did here. So that's kind of what happened. Um, I'm still blocking people. Uh, it's slowly wearing off. Hopefully a couple more days it'll be done and we can just move on from this. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been my like nightmare for the last three days. Uh, the, the tweet, the tweet shit was just like out of control, just really out of control. But, uh, I, I, I gotta say like, you gotta stand up sometimes and you gotta make a stand and I can't just sit quietly by while stuff like this happens. I don't want this stuff to be the norm. I don't want, you know, cause what's next? A game where, like, all gay people are portrayed as, like, you know, criminals or they're thrown into, like, you know, dungeons or something or where, like, they're the targets in the next game. Or what's after that? Immigrants? An immigrant hunting game or something? I mean, I think some of that stuff is really over the top. And in especially in today's context, it's just not okay. Um, so, anyway, that's kind of my, my piece on it. Hopefully people will understand where I'm coming from. I mean, Corey, what, any thoughts on this? I mean, do you, do you understand? Do, am I making myself clear? Because I feel like... I feel like I wasn't clear enough the first time, so hopefully this clarifies things. I mean, does, does what I say make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think you're making yourself clear. You're able to talk more about it than you are with a single tweet. With, what are they, 240 characters now or something, something like, like that? Something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you've explained yourself pretty well. Um, I don't know, the whole, like whole, like, censorship versus not censorship discussion i don't know i feel like i always fall in a weird spot with it because like i think it's always a discussion worth having but i ultimately don't want to be the person that's in charge of like deciding what should and should not be like available in a way um the idea of like moderating that kind of thing makes me just makes me really nervous because like i agree with you you know in stating that like if you have games that have really questionable like racist content or sexist content or whatever that it's like just not in good um like faith or whatever like just to have it out there in the first place um but i mean it, i don't know it's just tough because like at the same time we play a lot of problematic games 
in other ways that we talk about and that we champion. I mean, probably like half the games I play involve like murdering thousands of people. And I know that like murder and like racism are not the same thing, but like, I, I, it's just like a slippery slope of saying like, you should maybe like think about getting rid of one thing and like not really getting rid of everything. And it's kind of like a culmination of sort of like outrage culture and something that this is kind of like a little bit of a side tangent, but something that I was thinking about while you were talking about this um, is there, I'm going to, I'm going to tangent and I'm going to pull this back around. So just stick with me on this. <laughs> okay. Um, go, go, go for it. So like a couple years ago, I want to say there, so there, I, of course I'm going to tangent this into makeup, but I swear it's going to make sense. Um, so Kat Von D, the makeup or the tattoo artist who was on like LA Inc or whatever on TV, who, started a makeup line later on. She's like pretty famous. She's also been in a lot of hot water lately for stuff that I'm not going to talk about right now. But she has a red lipstick in her line of cosmetics called Lolita. And for people who are familiar with the classic novel Lolita, it is often held up as like, I don't know, a like a classic novel. But it's also a book that upon further inspection, like fetishizes child sexual assault in a way. Um, sort of like romanticizes that. And it's one of those things kind of like with, you know, racism and sex sexism where it just took like future generations to kind of like realize that was a thing and maybe like not pay that much attention to it or kind of like shun it a little bit. And I read a news story a while back about how there was a woman, just an average woman, you know, whatever. Uh, she was on Twitter and I think she went to a Sephora and she saw this lipstick and she had tweeted something about like, it was something really mild. It was like, oh, I noticed that this lipstick is called Lolita. Like, maybe, like, just maybe that's not the best judgment call. Or, like, maybe this isn't the best idea to be, like... Because it's, it's one of her most famous colors in the line, too. It's, like, this beautiful red. And she had tweeted something about, like, hey, like, maybe this isn't a great idea to have a, a lipstick called Lolita. Because it's sort of, like, playing into the fetishization of, uh, of like, underage women. Or there was something... There was, like, another color, too, that had another name, and I can't remember what it was, but, like, the two of those put together... God damn it, I'm really mad that I can't think of the other name, but she had another lip color that had another, like, really suggestive name. Um, and she had tweeted something really mild about it, and then, of course, like, outrage culture kind of, like, swept it up, and I think there was, like, a beauty journalist who saw the tweet, and then they posted an article about it, and basically it snowballed into this giant thing where, like, People were basically, like, begging for Kat Von D's blood, like, hoping that she would, like, get rid of the color or change the shade name or, you know, die or sell her company or get run over. It was just, like, this whole thing snowballed. And I remember reading the article, and, like, toward the end of the article, it basically comes back to the the original woman who had sent the tweet, and she had said something like, okay, well, like, this snowballed, but I wasn't, like... I didn't like post the tweet like begging for Sephora to ditch her entire line or begging for Kat Von D to go out of business or, you know, demanding a recall for everything that she stands for. Like I just said, hey, this is kind of in bad taste, like maybe rethink this. And so your story kind of reminds me of this where it's like you post a tweet. Nobody reads the article. Literally then, nobody read it, by the way. Literally nobody reads the article. Same thing with this girl. Like, the, the news articles say, you know, probably woman outraged by lipstick shade, but really she was not outraged. She was just like, hey, maybe rethink this. 
Um, and so that just like snowballs and it plays into obviously this like awful American culture we have. And I'm guilty of it as, you know, the rest of everybody as we're like, you just read the headline and then you take it and run with it. You don't actually click to open the article. You don't actually read all the paragraphs to see like, to get into like the nitty gritty of what you're actually talking about or like the nuance of the discussion that you want to have. You just see the 10 word headline and then suddenly you're outraged and you don't even know what you're outraged about. And you don't even know if the original person who had the thought or idea was outraged. And so all of a sudden it just snowballs into this giant thing. And I feel like that's kind of uh, where you ended up with it. And I mean, like I said earlier, like I don't, the whole like censorship thing is a really slippery slope. Like I definitely think that like the whole you know, like, things that are done in bad taste or done with, like, bad judgment calls are, like, not very good. And, like, the whole, like, rape day thing on Steam, where basically... Because Steam is very, like, laissez-faire, very hands-off about um, moderating games, which, like, on one hand, people can be like, well, that's a good thing, because then basically, like, any artist who wants to create a game can basically create anything they want. But if, like, your entire game sort of revolves around, like, raping women, like, that's not, that's just, like, not cool. Like, that's not, like, yeah, it might be, like, a work of art, quote, unquote, but it's, like, it's just kind of disgusting. And, and like, so Steam runs into this problem where, like, they only delisted it because there was this giant outcry, this, like, social media outcry of, like, you know, we should get rid of this game, this is disgusting. But, I mean... And this is kind of the thing about, like, social justice culture. Because, like, I would consider myself one for social justice. But there, there's definitely, like, extremes where, like, social justice cult culture will focus on one individual, like, outrage. And then that thing will get taken care of, like, Rape Day got delisted. And then all of a sudden, everybody pats themselves on the back because it got delisted. But if you look on Steam, there's probably, like, 200 other games that are awful. Like, every time I get on Steam and I look at VR games, there's so many, that, like, strip club, big titty, like, ass-in-your-face VR games. And I know that's not the same as Rape, totally not the same, but it's just, like... There's, like, a lot of stuff out there that's in poor taste, and it reminds me of, like, whitewashing controversies, too, because, like, you know, if a movie comes out and a role is whitewashed, everybody jumps on the single actor that was in the whitewashing scenario, and they don't want to address the director, the casting agent, the producers, the, you know, film industry at large, and it's just, like, this weird thing where you get, like, hyper-targeted on one specific thing, the thing gets taken care of, and then everybody's happy, but really, like... It's just, it, like, to me, it's like, if you want to be mad at one thing, you have to be mad at all of the things. And it's, but it's hard to be mad at all the things because we cannot always be on guard for everything ever all the time. Like, I've talked about even, like, Chick-fil-A. Like, they donate to anti-gay companies, so I will never eat Chick-fil-A, and I lose a lot of respect for people if they eat Chick-fil-A. But I bet if I looked at every fast food chain on the planet, they're all probably doing something that's fucking awful, but they just haven't been exposed yet. So it's just, like, this winding circle of... Like, basically, everything is awful, and nobody has the time to, like, research everything ever in order to figure out how awful things are to, like, not use them or not, you know, spend their money or vote with their wallet or whatever. And it's just, it's really exhausting, man. I mean, it really is. And I think that you're really correct in saying that this is not an easy discussion. I mean, I totally agree that this is not easy. I don't have the right answer. I don't think anybody really has the right answer. 
Um, and, you know, again, I just really want to restate, like, I am generally not in the camp of censorship. I am generally not in the camp of delisting things. Um, so that's not, it's not my go-to. It's not something, uh, and again, just to repeat, I'm not really even advocating it even for this game. I think that they should clean up what they did because I find it really, like, just really kind of awful. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not about like, you know, authoritarian free speech and censorship all left, right, and center, because there are a lot of works out there that I think some people would find to be really offensive and yet there is some value in them but i think that's really the key for me is like and again this is really subjective i mean it's like that famous quote from whatever supreme court judge that was where he's like well i don't know what pornography is but i know it when i see it or you know whatever that whatever that quote was you know what i mean like he couldn't tell you what it was on a piece of paper but he would look at something and then yeah this is porn or this is not porn or it's just kind of like an internal judgment call and everybody's barometer is different so i i totally get that i totally get that um I mean, I'm thinking, for example, of like, um, what is that game we played where you're in the, the, the truck stop bathroom or whatever? What was the name of that game? Oh, the tea room. Yeah, I thought that game was super valuable. I'm sure a lot of people would want to see that game banned. A lot of people would find that to be just disgusting and inappropriate and it shouldn't exist. And I can see why they would think that. But I found that game to be really instructive, really valuable, a really worthwhile experience because it had something to say and it had a point to it. Um, and I mean, I mean, really for me, that's really the crux of what happened here is that I didn't, uh, with the time that I spent with beat cop, I did not feel like these guys were doing it in good faith. I felt like they were doing it just to be able to do it. And to me, that was not okay. And I'm not saying that in itself justifies delisting. And again, that wasn't even really my point. Like it, it, I never talk about delisting anything in the article. It was just a poorly worded tweet, uh, from me. And again, apologies for that. But at the same time, um, I do think that developers have more responsibility these days. I think we need to be really aware of what society is doing right now about how there's all these like, you know, neo-Nazi movements and the alt-right and, you know, the white power stuff that's going on right now. And I think we have to be really careful about that. I mean, I think there's a time and a place to explore certain topics and maybe this is not the right time and place to be really flirting with those things. Um, but then again, I mean, it was really funny because nobody read that fucking article. I mean, nobody read the article. Uh, everybody looked at the tweet. <laughs> And they ran with it. And I mean, people even wrote articles about my tweet, but it's like the guy, the guy, the article, the one article that I did read, the guy clearly didn't even read the piece before he wrote his own piece because he's like, yeah, Galloway is a piece of shit reviewer. His review of this game is totally crap. And I'm sorry, but at the top of the page, it says this is not a review. I mean, it very, <laughs> how much more clear could I be? It's not a review. I mean, I have tons of people coming at me for 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 turning out this trash review and it's like it's not a review you clearly didn't even click the link because it's not a review and so many people asking me where's your proof where's your proof this is racist it's like motherfuckers i posted like a dozen screenshots on that article there's the you, okay you didn't click the link so whatever you guys are just running away with it and just everybody dumping on me without even really seeing what i had to say about it so whatever um to be expected, but I got to say it was really disappointing to see how many people were just really content to be like living in that sewer of humanity. Like so many people, um, just reveling in that whole, Oh yeah. Fuck you for being sensitive. Fuck you. You SJW. Fuck you for this and that. And it's like, like, look at yourselves, look at the stuff you're standing up for. Look at the stuff that you're saying, look at the stuff that you're, you're behaving like, I mean, it's really disgusting. And it kind of was really frightening to me how many people we're just so giddy and so glad to be posting these hateful things and to be posting like all these awful pictures. And it's like, what kind of people are you? Like, what is even going on in this fucking country where if you've got a legit argument with me and you want to talk to me about it, I'm happy to engage. I mean, I did engage a couple of people and they ended up being pretty good discussions. Not many. There was like, I maybe be two or three out of like 
I don't know, a thousand or something. Um, so I'm open to that, but man, just like seeing how many people were just ready to like, just, uh, just get really gross was really disheartening, man. I mean, uh, it makes me really sad for like the future of this country, dude. Well, the sad thing is that, and we've probably talked about this before, is that it's it's so much easier to just be rude and walk away than it is to like actually be intelligent and thoughtful and engage in a discussion with somebody because that takes time and energy and intellect and like a general interest in whatever is going on. But it's so much easier to say, fuck you, Brad, send tweet, and then walk away. Like, And people aren't willing to... Like one, I mean, if they're not even willing to like read the few paragraphs you wrote on the article, like they're certainly not worth, um, they're certainly not worth your time. So it's just sad that I don't know. It's just the easy way out. You you read ten words, you say hey fuck you, and then you walk away. You close your Twitter app, and that's the route that a lot of people choose to take rather than really diving in and figuring out what the person actually meant or whatever, because it's, I don't know, it's just, it's outrage culture. It, and like the, you know, people putting up with, or your idea of like reveling, these people reveling in like awful stuff is like, you know, it's funny that the, these people all kind of come from the camp that's like, um, you know, like the fuck your feelings and, oh, just cause you're offended doesn't mean you're right and blah, blah, blah. But then like, they're the ones getting offended that you're <laughs> offended about something. And so it's just like this swirling drain of like bullshit. And it's just like, if people really were like, fuck your feelings or really were like, oh, you can't get offended, then they wouldn't give a shit and they wouldn't engage. But the fact that they're engaging and being assholes shows that they're basically hypocrites on their stance of like, oh, well, I'm not offended by anything or, oh, fuck you for being offended. And it's just like, it's so fucking stupid. You're told you're one thousand percent right, dude. Because I mean, people were saying that I was a proponent of outrage culture, and I'm like, well, I mean, well, look at what these guys did in this game, and like, this is not okay. And if you're a decent human being who cares about other human beings, this is not okay to you either. And I think it's important to call this stuff out. And I don't. That doesn't seem like outrage culture to me. But like, you know, people were saying that I was the one that was doing that, and it's like, I mean, again, it kind of gets back to that creeping normalization of where. You know, some people really want it to be okay to portray certain races in a, in a certain way or certain, you know, portray gay people in a certain way, portray women in a certain way. And it's like, okay, so yeah, just like you said, if you really didn't care, this wouldn't upset you. But because I said this one tiny little, like, 500-word article and you fucking flipped out and you went and took the time to find a really nasty gif and post it to me who you've never tweeted before in your life and, you know, all this shit. It's like, it, clearly, clearly you are the person who's offended right here, so... Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, but anyway, I mean, I, I guess I don't have anything else to say about it except for God, it's been like a miserable three days because I've never, <laughs> I've never used the block button so often in my life. I mean, we've had we've had blowback from like reviews and you know from different articles here and there and stuff like that. But like this, I mean, the only thing that ever came close was when um, Game Critics was getting doxxed in the middle of of when Gamergate was like all over the news and everything was happening Gamergate all day long and it was basically like a war in social media like that was pretty bad that was pretty bad but this was this was man this was bad also I don't I don't enjoy this I don't miss this uh, I wish this would all just like dry up and blow away so anyway just just to wrap it up um, you know again I don't have the right answer to this I don't think I'm the the final authority on this I think it's a, a worthy discussion I think there's a lot of facets that we could talk about I think there's a lot of arguments that you could genuinely have to really pick apart these issues and really think about what's right and what's wrong. And again, I'm not, I'm not a censorship guy in general. I'm not 
a delisting guy in general. And in fact, again, I didn't even ask for it for this game, except for my one stupid poorly worded tweet, which I wish I could redo. I would redo it. But in the article itself, I make my point clear, although nobody read it. So anyway, um, if any <laughs> listeners want to, you know, engage me on this or want to talk to me or something, I'm totally open to having a discussion um, because I do I do think there's a lot of stuff to chew on in this particular aspect. Uh, but that's all I have to say, uh, and I just wanted to get that out there. I know a lot of people on Twitter were kind of waiting for me to kind of explain myself a little bit further, so I feel like I hopefully explained myself a little bit further. And, uh, again, if you want to continue the conversation, uh, feel free to reach out to me, email or Twitter or whatever. Uh, if you're listening to this, that means you already listened to the closing of the show, so you got my email and, and all that stuff there. So feel free to reach out. Otherwise, I'm going to let this go, and uh, we can move on to happier banter topics. Uh, Corey, is that uh, all right we need to move on? I have one tiny yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, thing please, before please. I, I just uh, because I wanted to make sure I was being factually correct about the lipstick situation. All I had to do was type Kat Von D lipstick outrage into Google. And first of all, I was wrong about the name. People were mad about Lolita, but the name that they were that sparked this was called Underage Red was the name of the oh, lipstick. Oh, that's which that's, that's not good. Which that's is not gross. a good idea. That's gross. but let me let me just run down. These are the some of the top. Uh, headlines when typing this into Google. Um, the first one is the internet is outraged at Kat Von D for her contra. Oh, that was eyeliner. Never mind. I messed that one up. Um, Kat Von D sparks outrage with underage red lipstick. Number two, people are outraged over Sephora's new lipstick name. Number three, Kat Von D sparks social media outrage for lipstick named underage red. The next one. Underage Red and five other makeup names that are just as tasteless. The next one. Why I'm not buying Sephora's new lipstick and why you shouldn't either. And um, the, the, this is the last one I'll close out on. Kat Von D releases lipstick with the name so inappropriate, it's amazing it made it onto store shelves. Like, and then keep in mind the woman's original tweet was just like hey this is in bad taste and then those are all the headlines that came after this snowball yeah yeah i mean i do think it's in bad taste honestly but uh... it, it is it, that's <laughs> without question but the fact that it snowballed into something so huge is a little bit silly yeah i mean yeah i mean agree i think i think things can definitely snowball you know, whichever way, whichever way you lean on the social justice meter. I mean, I think things can snowball on either side. And, uh, but, but then again, I mean, yeah, whatever. Anyway, I don't buy lipstick. I'm staying out of this. I already got myself in enough trouble this weekend. I don't need any more people tweeting me and I'm certainly not going to take any heat for Kat Vondi's lipstick. So I'm just going <laughs> to, she is not worth taking heat for. I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to take no fucking heat for her. So I'm just going to, I've said my piece. I'm going to move on. If anybody wants to talk to me later on, please go for it. Uh, but let's move on to other topics. I talked for like a million years uh, on a very distasteful subject. Corey, let's talk about something happier. What do you, what do you got for banter? You got anything on your banter banter pile this week? Um, I do. I have a couple of actually very happy things. So um, these aren't going to be anything new or groundbreaking, but I just wanted to say for the first thing, I have a, a movie and a video game I want to talk about. I know we're not supposed to bring video games to the show, but you did. So I'm going to, so we're just breaking all the rules today. You do you, man. You do you. 
Yes. So I um, I bought a few weeks ago, like a, a while back, you and I talked about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which we yes. both saw in theaters yes. and loved. Yes. And it came out on Blu-ray like three weeks ago or something. And I went to, every time a Blu-ray comes out that I want to buy, and I only buy a Blu-ray maybe like once every three months. Like I'm, I'm definitely like a physical media kind of guy. So I like to buy Blu-rays and I like to get usually Best Buy is the store that gets cool like steelbook editions of new releases that I can't find anywhere else. Like so I don't know what like licensing deal they have with every movie publisher ever that they have like cool steelbooks. But um, I went to Best Buy and picked up uh, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse on Blu-ray and a well the steelbook like. The design actually isn't that great for my personal taste, but I would rather have it anyway than have like the normal plastic one if available. And I decided to watch it. So I I sat down on Friday night to watch it for the second time. The first time was when I saw it in theaters. And I did my usual weekend thing, my ritual, where I sit down. I had been sitting on a Gundam model kit for about a month that I'd had in the bedroom. So I like had a beer next to me. That I sounds uncomfortable. Say that again. I'm sorry. I said that sounds uncomfortable. Uncomfortable sitting on the Gundam model kit. <laughs> yeah, sorry, stupid joke. <laughs> You're a dork. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I so I sit down. I have my beer. I open my Gundam model kit, which is like it's a real grade one, which are like the hard ones that I really like to put together. And I put into the Spider Verse in, and I should have known my stupid ass. I like I I know that I loved Into the Spider Verse whenever I saw it, but enough time had passed to where I was like. Yeah, I trust that I liked this movie, but I couldn't remember a whole lot of, like, really specific things that I loved about it. And so I was like, oh, I'll just put it on, and I'll have a beer, and I'll work on this Gundam. And I put the movie in, and I got, like, over the course... The movie's, what, like an hour and a half or so long. And over the course of that, I put about most of one leg of the Gundam together because I was, I could not take my eyes off of the screen because <laughs> that movie is so fucking it's good. Fucking and good, it's so, dude. Oh my God. It's, it's so beautiful. It is the best. I, <laughs> it is such a good movie. So I felt like such a, I mean, I didn't feel like a dork, but I felt like a dork because I didn't really get much of the Gundam done. I like turned the movie off or when the movie finished, it kind of like auto went into like the, the behind the scenes stuff or like the, the special features. So I feel like I worked harder on the Gundam during like the special features reels and stuff than I did of the actual movie because it is so good. I just could not take my my eyes off the freaking screen because it's such a beautiful movie. And uh, so, yeah, if anybody out there is listening who has not seen it yet, it is out on digital. It's out on Blu-ray. I swear they're not paying me to talk about this. I wish they were, but Spider-Man Oscar winner for best animated feature. Oscar winning um, Spider-Man. Spider Oscar yeah, winning. <laughs> the thing that bugs me too is whenever I went to Best Buy, you could tell that they released the prints of the movie before the Oscars because the sticker on the cellophane on the outside of the uh, the Blu-rays said like, Oscar nominated. And I was like, God damn it. They could have put Oscar winning on there. but <laughs> Lame. You got to spend the money and get those other stickers on there. Shows a respect. Yeah, I'm it. sure. In my, hopefully, in like the next press that they send out, I'm sure they'll put Oscar winner all over it. But uh, basically, long story short, that movie is just phenomenal. I can't imagine anybody who would not like that movie. Like, you have to be. I don't want to like call people bad people, but you have to be like a pretty bad person to not like that movie because it's so like universal across like its themes and its stories and its humor and just like the 
the animation of it and the mix of like CGI and like hand drawn animation is just absolutely impeccable. Um, I mean, that movie's the best, dude. It is the best. That was the best movie of <laughs> what, 2018? Like, hands down, dude. I don't care what else came out that movie or that year. That movie was the best movie. Like, just it just flat out was. <laughs> it was the best one for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I got to go buy a copy tonight. Oh, man. See, I'm doing, doing my work here. I'm going to. I'm going to email the dudes that wrote the movie and I'm going to be like, Hey, I just got someone to buy your movie. So can you please give me like $10 for this? There you go. Cash in man. Cash in. Do it. Yes. So the other thing I want to talk about, this is basically this banter section is me just championing things that I've talked about before that I re liked over the past weekend. What we're here for. Let's do it. (laughs) So the next up is a video game and I'm not, I didn't want to talk about this during the actual game sequence because I've talked about it at length. It's been a while, but I've talked about it at length. Um, for those who are familiar, the so you have like Steam on PC, and then recently, within the last few months, the Epic Game Store has become a thing. And kind of like the big hullabaloo about the Epic Game Store is that they they do like a free game a month thing, and you don't like have to pay for a subscription, you don't have to pay for anything. You just like download the Epic Game Store for free, and once a month they put like a free game out there. They had Subnautica for free which is how I played it originally on PC. I didn't play very much of it, but I played some of it. And then the game this month, it might not be this month anymore because we're actually recording on uh, April Fool's Day on uh, April 1st, but their free game for March was uh, What Remains of Edith Finch, which, if you recall, was my 2017 game Game of of the year. year. I remember. So, and something I like to do on whenever it comes to PC gaming, and this is just me being kind of silly, is even if I've played a game, like, on console, or, yeah, like, on console, and I do this sometimes, like, the big one I've done a couple times is, like, Deus Ex Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, which will come as a surprise to nobody. I've played both of those on PC. Um, Not, I've played Mankind Divided all the way through, probably about Human Revolution, about 60% 60% through right now, but it's just like, I mean, it's like a, ostensibly the same experience, but like it looks a little bit better It like doing a mouse and keyboard controls because I'm getting slightly better at mouse and keyboard. It gives you like a slight, you know, variation to where it feels just a little bit different rather than sitting in front of the TV. So although I've played What Remains of Edith Finch on PlayStation 4 twice, um, I decided, hey, you know, it's free. I don't really have anything to do. I think this was on Saturday night. Um, Patrick was playing, I think, The Division with some friends or um, Overwatch or something. So I just decided to boot it up on PC and played it because I downloaded it for free. And I was kind of hoping it would, like, look a lot better on PC because generally stuff looks best on PC. Um, I can't really attest to if it looked better or not. I mean, it's still, like, a really beautiful game. But I played through it again. Um, It's only like two hours long. It's like really short. It's like beautiful. And it's just like, oh, it's like a master class for like writing and like atmosphere and um, and just like storytelling in video games. Like it's everything about it is just written incredibly smart. And if you if you're new to the show or if you haven't heard of this game, let me just summarize it real quick. It is a first person narrative adventure game aka a walking sim where you play as a young woman named edith finch as you might um, expect by the title uh, what remains of edith finch basically at the beginning of the game her mother has passed away and you don't like see her die she just starts out like on a ferry going to this island in seattle where her family grew up and she has like a big family tree um her mom passes away and her mom left her a key to this old house that they used to grow up in and when i say house i mean it's like 
it's huge. Like, it's multiple stories. It kind of has this weird, like, Castlevania Symphony of the Night thing going on where there's, like, additions to the top of it that make it look like a big tower, and it's very eccentric. <laughs> it's silly, but it's just, it's so cool. I don't think I've ever heard anybody use the Castlevania reference in regard to Edith Finch. I think you may be the first. <laughs> well, it just, it bears some similarities to the Castle of Symphony of the Night, and, uh, and it takes place in outside of Seattle, so it's, like, has sort of that Pacific Northwest like greenery. Oh, it's um, very, it's very uh, Seattle, uh, very Seattle. Yes. They captured yeah. that very well. And so you start out in the game on the ferry to the Island that they grew up on. And then once you get there, you're like walking up to the house and basically you don't know what the key is for. Um, and so over the course of the game, she, Edith is talking out loud about like the stuff that kind of happened in the family leading up to that point, And then like, she doesn't know what the key is for. So she's hoping that she'll be able to figure it out. And like it turned, and I'm not going to spoil it, so don't don't get worried if you haven't played this yet. But basically, like, the story is basically about her family, and her family is kind of like cursed, or they think that they're cursed in some kind of way. And so you play through these different scenarios. Like part of the game is her walking through the house and kind of like going through all of her um, family's like bedrooms and kind of like taking in the atmosphere. And there's generally something in every bedroom that will trigger, um, like. I don't want to call it a mini game because it's not a mini game, but it's like a like a different narrative section where you play kind of like in the shoes of that person and and they're all different, which is great. I mean, one of them is um it's this really incredible like comic book thing because one of the kids in the family was like a child actor that was really famous, like kind of like Shirley Temple-esque. And she so Edith like opens the comic book. And it kind of like goes through the panels and you control it like a, like a first person horror game. And it's like cell shaded and like looks like a comic book and it's really well done. And then another one is a guy who was like a photographer in the house. So it's almost kind of like a Pokemon snap kind of thing where you like play through the (laughs) lens of the camera and you're like taking pictures over this trip that you took at one or that he took at one point in his life. And it's just, the game is just like peppered with all these really cool scenarios that you get to play through. And I realized that I feel like I come to the show a lot and talk about stuff that's exciting for me that I feel like would not be exciting to anybody else where I'm talking about like, oh, you get to walk through all the bedrooms in the house. Oh, it must be so fun. (laughs) But like, cause like people are listening and they're probably like, what the fuck? Like this sounds like the most boring game ever. But like, I like if you're up for this kind of thing where like, you're not like a puzzle game person or you're not like a shooty man's, you know, bang, bang person. And you just like these really like nuanced, well-written like story rich experiences like this like this game really cannot be beat i think it is the best one out there as far as like narrative rich like uh, first person games go and it's the writing is just phenomenal and every time i play it i cry like two separate times because there's like some i mean the story is tragic it's happy it's dramatic it just like really runs the spectrum of like the human emotion, and I feel like these are not things that I normally say about games, but I mean, God, what remains of Edith Finch? It's so good. It felt so good even the third time through, and I mean, I'm sure in a year or two, I'll come back through and play it again. It's short. It's beautiful. It's so well-written, and the story is really just, like, impeccably done, and I, oh, man, I just love this game so much, so it is really happy that I played through it again, and I was able to sort of experience it again on PC instead of on console, which really didn't make that much of a difference, but it really held up in every way that I expected it to. And I just really love this game. I don't know if it's free on the Epic store anymore, but if you're somebody who's a PC gamer, please 
go check it out and see or put it on your wish list or something, grab it on a sale. It is impeccable. If this is if this is your jam, this is like the best of it. This is the the strawberry preserves of the jam world to me. It's so good. <laughs> The uh, the no the no corn syrup no uh, <laughs> no uh, high fructose corn syrup of the preserves world. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed it so much, sir. I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed that revisit. Um, that's good good to hear. Uh, I will switch topics. Uh, okay, we'll stay on games for a minute. Boy, we're we're talking a lot of games in the in the banter here. Um. I just a really quick shout out to Kerbal Space Program. I, I talked about this like a million years ago. Uh, it's a game where it's uses real physics to teach people how to like do like rocketry. Like you got to build rockets and you have to like figure out like the thrust and the weight and, you know, figure out the tra- trajectories of like how to get from an Earth-like planet to the moon and out in the space. And it uses all these like, like, I mean... I, I am not a rocket scientist, but to me, this game looks like it legit could be actual rocket science because it uses those physics, it uses those concepts, and I find it to be as difficult as actual rocket science. I cannot understand this game. I don't <laughs> get it. I've tried a million times, and just I don't think the tutorials are really that great. I wish the tutorials were better, and I'm lost. But I'm not the one who plays it. My son plays it. My son, who is nine, loves this game. He loves putting rockets together. He loves launching them. Uh, has a great time with it. He plays it on PS4. It's also on PC. I think it's also on Xbox One. Um, and he hasn't figured the whole thing out either, but he spent a lot more time like digging into it and really kind of taking it apart. And for me, just uh, just too hard to get into. I really kind of wanted to, but I just I could not. I could not do it. But he really likes it. And I want to give it a quick shout out because he is also my son is also a huge like astronaut fan, rocketry fan like you know space race history like real world astronaut stuff he eats that stuff up with a spoon and he knew that they had some dlc that was pc only for a long time that actually brought in like the real nasa stuff like apollo 11 like some of the soviet rockets and some of the other things that were from the 60s and the 50s uh that were you know real famous um pieces of equipment that they used like the thing that they used to land on the moon and all that stuff it was not originally in that game and he was kind of bummed i mean you could kind of make stuff that was sort of like it but it wasn't exactly like it and he as soon as he knew that it existed somewhere and he couldn't get it he was pretty sad uh but they just like this week just brought it to ps4 uh, as dlc so if you play kerbal or if you have a kid who plays kerbal or if there's anybody in your fan your family who's a kerbal fan they have now had the the i think it's called the history pack where it's got the actual real life you know apollo gemini Soyuz, all that kind of stuff. If you are like the, if you're a rocket fan, you can download stuff and reenact those very famous uh, launches and just kind of mess around with those things. So good on them. Um, they did not send me a code. Uh, they asked me if I wanted one, and I said sure. And then they ran out, and so I just bought out on my own. So <laughs> that's rude. It was. I mean, uh, they ran out. I mean, I can't. I can't fault them for running out. I mean, whatever. Uh, but my kid could not wait. He was bursting at the seams. So I ponied up. I think it was ten bucks to get the DLC. And it's available now, so just heads up that that thing exists. Um, the only other thing I have worth mentioning... Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off of games just for one second here. Uh, number one... Uh, God, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? The uh, Santa Clarita Diet is back on, on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet, but I am dying to watch it. So that's coming up really soon. But the other thing that I saw recently 
was a new Broadway-style show called Marie Dancing Still. Have you heard of it? I have not heard of this. Pretty new show. I think they're trying to get it to Broadway. It is on its way to Broadway. It'll be on Broadway. It's a Broadway-quality show. Uh, I saw it at the local Fifth Avenue Theater. It's a musical. Basically, it's about... Uh, I think they're... I think his name was... Uh, I forgot what the guy's name was. He's a fa- French painter. Famous French painter. I'm not very knowledgeable about the painting world. Uh, but he... You know, 18, 1800s France or something with like all the can-can girls and everybody wearing those fancy outfits and stuff like that. You know that time period. Uh, kind of mm. like the Moulin Rouge sort of a thing going mm. for it. And it's about this guy who's a very famous painter and sculptor, and he made a statue, which is a real-life statue. Real, I mean, he was a real guy. Uh, he made this statue called... Uh, something called, like, the Little Ballerina or something. And it was about a girl who was, like, 14. It was, like, a multimedia statue, and it's really, really famous statue if you follow the art world. Um, so it was about that guy and the girl that he met and how she inspired him to make this statue... Uh, and the, uh, that part was fictionalized. The statue's real, the guy was real, the girl was fictionalized, and their relationship was fictionalized. Um, but it was really cool. Like, they had a lot of dancing, a lot of, like, ballet influences, the music was really great, a lot of laughs, there were some good comedic moments in it. But the thing that was great about it was the set design was fucking amazing. I actually got to meet, uh, the guy who designed some of the sets, and he was an awesome guy. Uh, he was actually friends with some of the actors that I knew from working on Romeo and Juliet, and so he came over and we talked for a little bit. Nice guy. Uh, but the sets were fucking great. I mean, the stage, first off, starts off with a giant picture frame around the entire stage. So the whole thing looks like it's like a framed painting, which is amazing. And then once you start, they have these projectors that project like swashes of color. So it looks like there's like this giant paintbrush kind of swooshing around the stage, like leaving like red and yellow and blue, like all across um, the backgrounds, which looked, it looked fucking great, dude. Like it was amazing. Um, the pieces that were on stage like rotated. They had, I think, three different sides. And between those three sides, like it would be like a wall. The wall would split into like four pieces vertically, and then they would like rotate, and then they would come back together to form like a brand new wall. And it was like so impressive, dude. Like it, they'd be like in the painter's studio, the wall would split, and they would flip, and they'd be like in a ballet studio, and then the wall would split, and it would be like they'd be like in the street of Paris or whatever. And it was like it looked fucking great. And there was this one part that I just I was like flabbergasted. I was just blown away. Like they're in they're in an interior. They're inside of a building. They're talking about like ballet dancing and they're fighting about who's going to be the lead dancer. And then immediately, thanks to a couple tricks of lighting and how they had set the stage up, it went from being an interior where they were dancing to being backstage at a on a stage. And so we were in the audience. It looked as though we were backstage and the stage we were looking at was backstage of a real stage. And then further, further ahead, it looked like there was like a whole other audience who was like watching the show that we were behind all of a sudden. It was fucking incredible, dude. I was like, Oh my God. Like (laughs) it looks like we're fucking behind stage and we're in the fucking audience. Like it was so mind blowing. It was, it was great. I mean, that dude killed it with set design. I mean, I can't even imagine how much work that was to get all those moving pieces together and to figure out the lighting and all that stuff. I mean, nuts, fucking nuts. So the show itself was good. I mean, I'm not a big ballet fan, and I honestly didn't know anything about that painter. I, I, I can't even remember what the guy's name is now. Um, but boy, that set design, oh, man, it's just amazing stuff. Really, really amazing stuff. So anyway, I do recommend the show. It's called Marie Dancing Still, currently playing in Seattle. It's going to be touring the country, and I believe they are trying to get it mounted on Broadway. Uh, I don't know if they've got any dates secured yet, but that is coming up. And uh, that was a great, great, great show. And since I'm talking about it, 
I might as well throw this out here. Uh, Romeo and Juliet is now over. The show's closed. Yesterday was the final day. The show is over. My time in the theater is now done, and uh, it's been quite a wild ride, I must say. Uh, very emotional to say goodbye to everybody. We spent like a really intense two months together, basically all day, every day for two months. And while that may not seem like the longest time in the world, when you spend that much time with somebody in that close quarters, you get to really know them very well. And we were a great cast. No, no assholes in the bunch. Everybody got along really well. <laughs> and uh, there was lots of hugs, lots of tears. And uh, it was a great farewell. Great show. Wonderful show. I believe they are going to try to mount it again, maybe in L.A., maybe in Chicago. And I think the eventual goal, hopefully, knock on wood, is to take it to Broadway. So we'll see how that goes. If they so if they like took it to Broadway and got set up in like a cool scenario where they got to like run it for a while or it like became successful or something, is there any chance that you would like go with them or would you like be stuck in Seattle? I think there is a very good chance that I would go with them. Um, oh, I'm really close with the director and I'm really good with the cast. And I believe, you know, when this thing gets off uh, off and running, they are going to keep uh, probably a lot of the original cast. And so. Uh, I've got a great relationship with uh, the deaf actors, and I know the show intimately, inside and out. I mean, already doing it once. So I, I believe there's a very good chance that if the show gets off the ground, that I would be, you know, on tour or, or going to Broadway with the show. So we shall see. We shall see. Oh, my God. That would be incredible if you were, like, part of a traveling theater troupe and got to, like, go to New York to do it or go to L.A. to do it or wherever they found this successful place to run it if you just, like, got to travel with them. That would be so cool. Well, that's really, the, I mean, I think that would be amazing. I mean, I would totally do it in a heartbeat. I would say yes. In fact, I told everybody, like, just count me in. If this gets off the ground, I'm in. Like, I'm doing it. Uh, and the great thing about this is that, you know, we homeschool, so my son could just come with us. And my wife, uh, she accepted a new position, which I talked about, you know, many times on the show. Uh, but the good thing about her job is she can do it remote. So she could just pack up her laptop and she can do it from anywhere. She doesn't actually have to be in the office. So she could conceivably keep her actual day job, come with us to L.A., Chicago, Broadway or whatever, and still do her job. And I would be doing theater with the troupe traveling across the country. I mean, it would be a pretty bananas thing. Hopefully it's going to come together. Um, everybody's real excited about it. I know people really want to see this uh, play do more. Everybody was really happy with how it turned out. I mean, of course, it could be better. Of course, you could change things. But for our first stab at it, we were all very, very happy with where it ended up. So I think there's a good future ahead of it. And uh uh, you know, Josh Castile, the actor who played Romeo, is very excited about doing some more, and uh, the rest of the cast is on board too. So we shall see. I may be doing podcasts from uh, truck stops along along the road from here to New York. You never know. <laughs> oh my God! Just if just find a way to take me with you, and then we we can really just seal the deal on this. I don't know what I could do. I just pack me in your suitcase, and I could just sit in the hotel all day. But just let's just work that deal out, and then we can just podcast together in real life, and then I can be on the road with you guys. Maybe we could get you to come in and do like some makeup or something. Everybody needs some makeup <laughs> artists. You could come and just bring your kit, and you could like do up the actors. You'd fit right in, dude. I have no doubt that I would fit right in. I just don't think I have any marketable skills like toward a theater production, uh, other than like being there for like a morale booster, perhaps. But I'm not like a producer on the show, and that's kind of what they're there for. Well, I don't know, man. If it comes together, I'll see if I can work in somehow, or at least we'll bring you aboard for a couple of the tour stops or something. Nothing nothing is set in stone. Nothing is uh, is ready to go, but, I mean, there's a lot of energy around it. Everybody was really happy, and I think a lot of people really want to take it somewhere. So 
if they if they take it somewhere and they'll have me, I will 100% uh, for sure be involved. So we shall see. We shall see more to come on that. But uh, that is all I have for now. Anything left on your plate, man? Uh, I don't think so. I think I am bantered out. We had a pretty good pretty good banter run this time. Uh, I say let's go ahead and wrap it up and let's talk about some video games. What do you say? That sounds like a plan to me. All right. Let's talk about some games.